All right, people, this is it. I'm live on the YouTube for the last time in at least a month. It's been a while since I've gone live, but we are live on the internet and I am about to go off the grid. That is right. I will not have a phone. I will not have a computer. I will not have a laptop. I will not have an iPad or an iPod. I will not have a, uh, what else connects you to the internet? Any of those devices. I will not have any screens of any kind. I will not have any news of any kind. I will not have any current events of any kind. I will have absolutely nothing electronic. No nothing for one month starting at midnight tonight, officially, although really when this stream ends, I'm gonna send out one little Twitter thread and then I've got a bunch of work I gotta finish up with my team over here. Uh, and then that's it. I am gonna disconnect. I am going to let the brain reset. I am going to relax. I'm gonna work on eating right. I'm gonna work on fitness. I'm gonna work on relaxing. I'm gonna catch up on reading, which I have not been able to get much done uh, for the last couple months because it's so busy. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of live like it's 1985. Remember that? 1985, it was, it was a pretty good year. Back to the Future came out in 1985, I believe. Um, I have done this now for three years, so this will be the fourth August that I did it. And each year, it's funny, when I did it the first time, it was just kind of like a lark. I was just like, ah, let me just see if I can do this. Seems like a kind of fun thing to do. Everyone's kind of nutty because of the internet. I'm always staring at my phone. We're all distracted. Our attention spans are shorter. I think it's screwing with people's short-term memory. We're, we're slammed with nonsense all day. Even if you get 90% love, I get a tremendous amount of love online. You know, you get still a tremendous amount of hate. And even if you don't get hate, uh, just getting love from strangers all the time isn't great probably for the ego either. So there's just like so many things and constantly creating and putting stuff out there and then that, that mirror that, that stares back at you. There's just so many things about it that I was just like, I don't know, maybe I could try to live like we did 20 years ago and, and see what happens. Um, I know that a lot of people can't do it at the level that I'm about to do it. It's funny, I, I've been tweeting about it this morning and a lot of people are saying that they're gonna join me for Off the Grid and, and I am gonna lock my phone in a safe. My phone will be in a safe uh, my iPad, my computer will all be in a safe, uh, along with my gun, <laughs> they will all be in a safe. And uh, I know that the average person probably can't take the whole month without all of those things. Um, I may take a couple uh, calls, like with family members on speakerphone from David's phone, but I'm not gonna be touching any of the things. I mean, I'm, I'm really doing this at the most like extreme level possible. And the only thing that we're gonna do uh, over the course of the month really is, as I said, we're gonna work on, on diet and exercise and relaxing and some meditation and reading and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but we will also see people in real life. So you may remember uh, back in the old days uh, when you had to walk uphill both ways without shoes in the cold to go see a friend. Uh, so we're gonna see friends. We're gonna invite friends and family to come over to our house and talk about anything other than politics, anything other than current events. I just want, a reset, you know, we're all caught in this rat race. People talk about, you know, the 24 hour news cycle. That's what we used to talk about, the 24 hour news cycle, right? Because we went from having three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, that you'd get your nightly news at 6.30 p.m. basically, and then you could read a newspaper and that was the news cycle. Then we had a 24 hour news cycle, which was CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. And then in the last 20 years or so, because of the internet and Twitter especially, we are constantly slammed with other people's thoughts. 
all day long. And then there's podcasts and YouTube and Twitter and all of those things. And it's one of the reasons why you guys say to me all the time, Dave, why don't you put out seven shows a week? Every day should be a new show. You should be doing more and more and more. And it's like, I'm very respectful, I think, of your time. I mean, we're incredibly busy as is. Um, but, you know, I always feel like we don't all need to always ingest endless amounts of stuff, even even worthwhile stuff. I, I assume you have a life. I have assumed, I assume maybe you have someone you love or like and you want to get outside and take a walk and maybe you want to do some other things and learn how to cook or garden or maybe you want to read or maybe you want to even play video games or whatever it mo- else might be. I guess video games, you're still connected to the, to the matrix. But I just think that we all are caught in this thing that we, that we didn't have for thousands of years and now we're all in it all the time. And if you watch the movie, The Matrix, which I watched again, I've seen it a million times, but I watched it again at the beginning of lockdown. Uh, you know, basically we are living in the matrix at some level. We are becoming the batteries. Our organic bodies are becoming the batteries for the digital world. If you spend more than 12 hours a day, you spend 12 hours and one second a day online, well then that's more of your life. That's more than half of your life. And I think a lot of us do spend that much time on it. And and if not, even if you spend five hours, I mean, you get your, your uh, iPhone tells you, you know, you, you were online for six hours a day or you used your phone for seven hours last week a day or whatever it might be. We are putting so much energy into this thing that we don't really understand. It's like a next level of our collective brain kind of thing. And I'm not saying all of that is bad. My, my life is is immeasurably more incredible and, and, and uh, humbling and inspiring and the whole thing because of this, right? I'm doing this on YouTube. I've started a couple companies. I've got great people that work for me. I've met a a zillion friends and I've become uh, friends with people that I've admired for years and all sorts of wonderful stuff. So it's not to say it's all bad, but the internet like fire is a tool, right? Fire is great. It can keep you warm. It can cook your food. Uh, It can also burn you and it can burn down your house. And I think the internet is sort of very similar. It's like it can connect us. We can be part of this amazing worldwide community. We can share hobbies and all of these things and pictures with people with people that we lost ago and all of that and that's all wonderful and then it this other side that this attention zapping sucking life destroying side um so that's why i decided to do this four years ago that's why i'm doing it this year so the first two years that i did it i had ben shapiro bring me back on the grid so i know nothing i avoid absolutely everything and i've been able to do it actually for the first three years i've been able to manage to do it uh ben shapiro brought me back the first two years glenn beck brought me back last year uh we're gonna have a surprise guest bringing me back on september 1st september 1st happens to be a monday Uh, which is nice, so I will come back on Monday, September 1st, and it's a different guest this time. Um, And uh, before I bring on a couple of our guests, so I'm I'm bringing on three people today. I'm bringing on Tristan Harris. We're going to talk about digital detox. I'm going to do like three 15-minute interviews just to chat with uh, these guys and gal about uh, their area of expertise and how I can incorporate more of that into my life during this time off. So I'm going to talk to Tristan Harris, uh, who for years has been talking about the dangers of tech addiction. I've had him on the show before. We're going to talk first. Then I'm going to talk to Tom Merrick. He's, uh, he's a fitness guy. He's huge on Instagram. He's not on Twitter. He's a, he's a wise man. He's not on Twitter. And we're going to talk about just some of the exercise stuff that I can do that hopefully you guys are going to get as much 
worthy and worthwhile information uh, as I do when I talk to, to Tom and when I talk to Tristan. And then I'm gonna talk to Michaela Peterson, who most of you know, of course, she's Jordan Peterson's daughter and she's sort of the famed leader of the lion diet movement, which is that you just eat red meat. And as you guys know, I was on tour with Jordan and I saw the man just eat red meat. He'd have a ribeye for breakfast, two ribeyes usually for lunch and like a tomahawk for dinner. Uh, and it, it helps him with all sorts of health problems. And I'll, maybe she can convince me to do it for at least a couple days during that. But we're gonna talk about diet with her. So I'm gonna talk about digital detox. We're gonna talk about fitness and I'm gonna talk about diet with all these people. Uh, I'm also gonna take your questions, um, which we don't do, you know, we don't do super chat anymore. The YouTube comment section is, is evil. It's, it's pure hell. It's, uh, it's, it's a horrible, horrible place. Uh, but if you wanna submit some questions, to me, uh, you can go to rubinreport.com or you can download the Rubin Report app on iOS store or on Google Play and you can submit some questions to me right now. Oh, and we are doing one other uh, different thing this year when I'm off the grid. Although I will not have any anything, uh, David will have some device that occasionally he will update people on what I'm doing. So if you wanna see some of the things that I'm doing, whether it's exercising or whether it's cooking or whether it's gardening or I don't know, doing woodwork, I'm, I'm gonna try to do all, all sorts of interesting stuff throughout the month. Uh, we will be giving occasional updates there. I won't be touching anything or even talking to the camera, nothing like that but he will be posting some interesting stuff. So you can sign up at rubenreport.com for that. Um, I wanna tell you a couple other things before we jump in uh, with the guests. Um, so first off, this also, this is, this is fairly big news that I haven't said before. This will be our last show in this studio. That's right, we are, we are moving on. This has been, uh, it's been truly incredible being here. We moved in here in November of 2016. This was really, uh, the, the move that catapulted everything else that got us to independence and freedom uh, and we've, we've loved this house and my crew has worked out of here for a long time and it's been, it's been great. I mean, everybody that walks into this room is like, holy cow, Dave, you, you have done it and you've done it right. Uh, we've decided to move on for a couple different reasons. I want to shoot the show a little bit differently going forward. Um, you know, and also because of uh, coronavirus, obviously people are doing a lot more on Skype and through the, through the wires, right? Um, so we're, we're going to focus on that a little bit more. And then I'm going to shoot in-person interviews in a totally new way that I don't think anyone really is doing right now. And it's going to be really cool. Look, I was one of the first people to do the home studio thing. And, and do the long form interview thing and it's time to reinvent again. I always say to my guys, it's like, we're back to the beginning again. So we are back to the beginning again. So we're building some interesting stuff in a new site going forward and I'm, I'm super psyched to share that with you and I think we're gonna do interviews really, truly in a way that nobody else is doing them right now. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. So that is one thing that we will be debuting in the fall in September. Uh, and two other big pieces of news before we get to our guest. Um, I have signed my next book deal. I'm super psyched about that. I, I, I just really enjoyed writing the book. I really did enjoy it. And then, you know, obviously the things that I wrote about in Don't Burn This Book have been super relevant for the last couple months, right? Like, I mean, e well, basically everything I wrote, it's as if I wrote it in the last couple months because I was talking about the hysterical nature of the left and destroying history and identity politics and, you know, I called it Don't Burn This Book, but as I've said, I should have called it Don't Burn the Store That This Book Is Sold In uh, because we're watching, we're watching cities burn. Um, we're watching sort of the collapse of liberalism, which you can see as the progressives just 
destroy whatever is left of liberalism and that takes out the Democratic Party. And then it's like, what do, I think many of you feel this, if you're a, sort of an old school liberal, what do you do? Do you try to fix that, that mess, that scorched earth that they've left? Or do you try to make alliances uh, to conservatives and libertarians? Obviously, you know my choice on that and that I think a lot of my lefty friends are going the other way. I think they think they can keep throwing people under the bus or somehow reconstitute something sane there. I just don't think it'll work. Maybe they're right and if they are, that's fantastic. Um, but all of the things that I wrote about in the book seem to be the exact things that we're all talking about all the time now. Uh, so I loved writing the book, so I, uh, I just signed the deal on the new book and I don't think I'm gonna do much writing on it for August, but I'm at least gonna start sketching the outline and, and sort of see what I wanna do with it. I do have a name in mind, but I'm not gonna say it yet. They didn't want me to say it, and it's not totally, it's not totally, totally uh, there that it's gonna be the one, but, uh, but I dig it, it's cool, and I think, I think I'm gonna really focus on new ideas. Like, I think I've put the why I left the left thing to bed. I've put the regressive left thing to bed. Everyone sees that I guess I was kind of right in the last couple of years about this stuff, right? Even, even people that have spent tons of time hating me online are kind of now just saying the same stuff that I've been saying for years. That, that's nice to hear, that's nice to hear, um, but uh, I'm gonna focus really on new ideas, like really exploring some new stuff that I've been thinking about in a new way, so that is that. And then the other piece of uh, September, and I'm just gonna give this a minor tease for now, um, you know, even though, as I said before, a lot of you asked me to do a seven day a week thing and just keep putting out more and more and more and I haven't wanted to do it. One of the things that I've been thinking about is that I do want to do some version of like a slightly more relaxed news type of show and give you guys some information without, without making you outraged, without, without slamming you with, with endless nonsense and keeping you clicking around stories and, and all of that craziness. So, starting in September, uh, it'll start on September 2nd, Tuesday, September 2nd, I'm gonna be doing a three day a week. I think it will be live. We're not 100% sure yet, but I think it will be live. Uh, live show right here on this channel, uh, which will be a, like a half hour news update. Uh, we're still working on format and tinkering some stuff and all that. Um, but I think it will be a, a, a different way of getting the news that won't make you totally angry and I'm not gonna do it to outrage you and I'm not gonna do it to keep you in a click hole. Um, but I, I'm really psyched and, and we're partnering up uh, with, uh, with somebody on that, which I'll explain all of that in September. So anyway, we, we got a lot to do, my guys, although I will be taking uh, August off the grid. My guys obviously have a ton to do. Oh, and by the way, we have new content throughout August as well, although I hope some of you will take some degree of time off some of this. And as I said before, I know a lot of you guys are trying it in your own way. Um, we have new shows coming out. I just taped an interview yesterday with Dr. Deborah So. She's got a new book called The End of Gender coming out, and she's been on the show before, and she's fantastic, and she's really fighting against the sort of intersectional movement that is that is really throwing gay people in many ways under the bus in the name of trans rights. So we, we talk all about that, she's just great. I just interviewed Sean Hannity yesterday and, and if you like Hannity or even if you don't like Hannity, I, it's a spectacular interview. You will see this guy in a completely new light, like an hour where he gets to talk with no commercials and no cable news craziness. Like it's really, really interesting. Rob Smith's got a new book out, so I just sat down with him and we've got a couple other shows. I think we've got like six or eight shows coming out in August, uh, which, which is more than we normally do. Uh, but okay, so I've, I'm gonna answer all your questions. As I said, you can submit them now at rubenreport.com. But 
without further ado, I'm going to bring on our first guest who's going to talk to me about digital detox. Uh, it is Tristan Harris, who is the co-founder, no, he, yeah, co-founder. He is the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology, and he's been one of the guys that has been uh, on the leading edge of saying, hey, something ain't right with big tech, and uh, these devices are making us crazy. Tristan, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Dave? Good to see you. I am good. I suspect I will be better in about a week from now. Can you, can you tell me why my brain might feel a little bit better in a week from now when I put down all of these devices? You've been, do, you've been talking about this like pretty much before anybody. Yeah. Well, um, uh, and I suspect you mean, you're, are you starting your vacation in a week from now? Is that why you say a week from now as opposed to no, no, take no, seven I'm, days I'm... for the effect to kick in? Well, I'm starting it tonight, but I suspect, yeah, it'll take, I know from the other times that I've done it, like the first few days, it's kind of weird. I want to jump back on. I keep going in my pocket to find my phone. But then after like five or seven days, that's when sort of the, the relaxing part of it or the calming part kicks in. But you can walk me through all of it, actually. It's like the seven stages of grief, the seven yeah. stages of disconnection or something like that. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, you know, I think, you know, you've actually taken a longer um, break from social media multiple years in a row than, than, than I have and all these things. So I think you, you're uh, more than an expert than, than, than I am. But for those people who don't know my background, why, you know, we'd be talking about this. Um, you know, I, I used to be a design ethicist at Google where it was basically my job to, I made it my job for three years to study how do we fix the attention economy, the fact that. Um, a handful of these tech companies, their business model is to commodify and turn, you know, a live human consciousness into dead slabs of human attention that can be monetized in the same way that, you know, living trees get turned into lumber. Um, and so long, just like lumber is worth, uh, you know, more than a tree is, is alive, you know, dead slabs of human consciousness in the form of engagement and zombie scrolling are worth more than a human being living their life uh, in an attention aligned way. So, you know, and, and also speaking to, you know, many of the harms that I'm sure, you know, we'll get into in maybe another time about what happens when the business model is whatever is good for your attention. It's much better to give you feeds that affirm your view of the world and things that constantly give you different views of the world. Um, but, you know, I think when we first met, it's interesting looping back around um, because we met before Apple launched all those screen time features, time well spent, mm -hmm. all that stuff came after and much as a result of our work, which is just to say that, you know, when the business model is keeping people's attention, you're fighting an uphill battle when it comes to personal responsibility. Um, there's only so much that we can do, especially when our lives are so entangled um, with um, the way these things work. I mean, saying don't use technology is almost like saying don't use your right hand because yeah. it's kind of become a prosthetic for or an extension of how we interact in the world. I mean, if you're a teenager, you say, oh, you know, I actually don't even want to use uh, Instagram or Snapchat. All your friends are going to start gossiping about you on it. And if you're not on there to sort of deal with whatever fallout is coming, it's it's irresponsible. And so there's this kind of entanglement that we're all feeling as well. But what I think is interesting is, you know, very few people are going through the experience that you're doing of actually completely unplugging. And I think I'd love to ask you, like, what what is because I think the thing people need to see is how surprising it is. How, how how big the impact is. I think that's the thing people miss is it's not just like, oh, I'm using it. I can right now because I'm plugged in and I've been on Zoom calls all day since 7 a.m. I can easily imagine what it's going to be like when I'm not on there. But I think I'd be curious to ask you, what is the surprising gap about like, can you right now empathize with what you're going to be feeling seven days from now? 
Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because since I've done it a couple times, I sort of know what to expect, but I also know that there will be surprises along the way. So last year, I remember specifically, we, we were away and I was laying on a beach and suddenly old songs that I have not thought about in a long time started playing in my head. Like my brain had had enough time to just nothing, just stare at the ocean and not go to the pocket and not do this. And, and old songs were popping in my head. And then I, I remember very specifically, I looked around the beach and we're sitting at this gorgeous beach, right? Like beautiful ocean in front of us. It's, it's still, it's silent, gorgeous water. And I'm looking and almost everyone is looking at their device. They're not looking at the ocean. They're not, they're not looking at their feet in the sand. They're looking at that. So what, what is cool for me is that for as much as I intellectually know sort of what's gonna happen over the next month and how good I'm gonna feel, I, I remember the mm -hmm. morning last year when I came back on, I said to David that morning, I was like, I feel like a million bucks right now. Like I felt calmer, yeah. I, felt more, I felt more connected to reality, all of those things. I mean, these are the things you've been talking about. Can you just mention a little bit about, because I think people don't really sort of fully grasp how they've tried to hook us on these things. Like things like endless yeah. scrolling. Like it wasn't always endless scrolling and now it's just yeah. endless scrolling and how that in and of itself is one of the things that just gets you. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, also to give people context, um, my, my background going to this was as a kid, I was a magician, which is all about recognizing that the human mind is not this like authoritative instrument that sees reality and cause and effect perfectly. Magic is all about saying, well, where could that mind be undermined, hijacked, manipulated without the other person's awareness? And obviously magic is a field that works. So obviously it's possible that that's true. Um, <clears throat> I think to your point, I, I studied at a lab at Stanford called the Stanford Persuasive Technology Lab with the founders of Instagram and uh, and many other people who went on to become the people who, who created this industry, um, a professor named BJ Fogg. And, and what basically what we learned in that in that course is what are all of these um, vulnerabilities in the human mind and the same way that a magician is looking for them. So uh, social approval. Um, uh, one of these funny examples about persuasion is there's some kinds of persuasion where even if you know that it's a persuasive trick, it actually still works on you. So for example, flattery feels good, even if I tell you it's completely made up. Like Dave, I actually love the shirt that you're wearing. It's look, it's a great shirt. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and, thank you, appreciate no, it. And, and if I was bullshitting you, uh, you would still feel uh, good, even because it's just, that's how our minds work. We actually seek social approval. So there I am if I'm Instagram and like, hmm, people really like social approval. What if I actually gave you variable doses, variable squirts of social approval on a random timeline and every single time you check your phone, you could get just a little bit more. That is such deep ingrained psychology that that's how these things can be designed. So to your example about infinite scroll, it wasn't always that that we built technology to just scroll forever. In fact, um, my co-founder at our, our nonprofit, the Center for Humane Technology, uh, Aza Raskin actually invented uh, the infinite scroll and he gave talks all around Silicon Valley. He estimates that it wastes something like, gosh, I'm forgetting the number, it's like 700,000 hours a day or some, something, some crazy number. Um, and, and the point was that your mind, so one of the features of our mind is it relies on these things called stopping cues. Um, in a conversation, how do you know when to leave? Because the person stops talking, that creates a gap, that's a stopping cue. And thank God, because you didn't want to be in that conversation to so get to walk away. Um, and we all, we all know those people who don't give us those stopping cues. They keep talking, 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 talking. They don't give us that stopping cue. So you have to kind of, you have to eject yourself. And that's kind of like what's happening with technology. Um, in the race to the bottom of the brainstem for what's, who's going to go lower, you know, in your brainstem to get attention, 
removing that stopping cue saying, you know, used to scroll and then it would say, hey, do you want to load more, you know, load 10 more stories and then you scroll yeah. and you get 10 more stories, almost portion sizing, you know, how much uh, we're giving uh, attention out. But as soon as like, let's say Facebook says, you know what, we're going to take away that that stopping cue, we're going to go to infinite scroll, then Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all the other companies, they have to do the same thing too. They have to match it because it's like game theory. If you have 10 nukes, I have to have 10 nukes. If you have, you know, if you remove infinite scroll, I have to uh, remove the stopping cues. I have to remove the stopping cues. And so that's how this stuff works. But it's gotten so powerful that, you know, and it's also embedded into our lives that it's sort of like saying someone has made my arm not as useful to me as possible, but as useful to getting me to reach for things for them as they want it oh. to do. And, and when there's that entanglement, that's what's so uh, hard. And I think it, you know, it speaks a little bit to the antitrust hearings that just happened in, in, uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, a couple days ago, which is the premise that like, these things that are so intimately woven into our lives have to be uh, more neutrally uh, in our interest, made in for, for the public interest and not for commercial interest. Because you know, if I was a, a neurosurgeon and I put a brain implant into your brain, and it was driven by the business model of advertising and what I wanted you to think about, we would say, no, we don't allow brain implants that do that. That's a bad business model for brain implants. But when we create a brain implant yet called a smartphone, it. yet we've done it. And it's funny, you know, I talked to the Neuralink guys, which is the Elon Musk company too. And, you know, like they're kind of veering into that terrain, you know, as well. Uh, I think this is the kind of thing we have to actually really think about. And what's so interesting is that you going on this break for a month is kind of like saying, I'm going to forcibly take out the neuro implant, which means I lose access to, you know, the fast news processing and who said what and infinite anxiety fed to you on a, on a silver platter. Um, and, you know, we have that we have that agency, but it's this kind of all or nothing choice as opposed to wouldn't it be nice if we had humane brain implants that weren't commercialized, that weren't so adversarial to our interests and actually, you know, uh, helped us be more responsible with how we use our attention. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm guessing you that you either saw. In. I'm guessing you either saw the movie or, or read the book. But Ready Player One. Remember at, at the end, I forget what they call the all the digital universe in it. Um, do you remember off the top of your head? Whatever, I don't remember the name whatever of it. Whatever they no. call it. But w- but when he takes over, when when I can't, I only saw it once. But when the when the kid takes over at the end and he now controls the online world, one of the things he installs is that you basically have to take two days off a week. I think that's what it is. And it, at least that's what right. it was in the movie. And it's like, that's kind of a pretty good thing. And, you know, there we go. But I really like the analogy you just used about the arm. That sounds like a Philip K. Dick uh, short story, doesn't it? Like your arm is possessed by somebody else. Um, but, but quick, before, before we wrap up, for the people that are watching this, that they know what you're saying is true. They're, they're feeling the crunch of big tech and the distraction and all of that stuff. But they can't do what I'm about to do. They can't do the month. Um, I know you've got right. a couple tricks maybe that people can do. So as a magician, give me a couple digital detox tricks that people could try to incorporate into their lives so that they can do it without maybe locking their phone in a safe, but but something that's a little less extreme that might help them. Yeah, you wouldn't want to lock your arm in a safe and then not be able to use it. So um, the, yeah, I mean, the simple thing is obviously to turn off all notifications. I mean, it's so underestimated um, the impact of an interruption uh, on our on our psyche. Um, there's a woman named Gloria Mark um, at UC Irvine who studied something called interruption science for the last decade. And on a computer, when you get interrupted by someone, it could be any inter- external interruption, a person or a, com- or a notification. It takes us on average 
23 minutes to resume the thing that we were doing. And we actually cycle through two projects before we go back to, this is like if you're working, but that kind of thing, it's, it's a really big cost. So the simple thing is just turn off all notifications. I actually have, and I know this is speaking to, um, not everybody can resource this, but if you have separate computers or separate devices for uh, say things like Slack or something like that, where you have you know the fast rapid communication versus when you get your work done. Um, Personally, uh, just to share a personal story, I, I actually just got a desktop computer for the first time in like a decade. I mean, I've never had like a sit down workstation huh. desktop, always just these laptops. It's obviously, you know, why would you need it? But there's something about having like a, a place that just only when I sit down at it and I do my work and then I'm for, it, it creates this kind of stopping cue or boundary because then I can walk away from it as opposed to the laptop I'll just take with me uh, everywhere with a smartphone. So first thing, obviously turn off all notifications. Um, recognizing that most times we get notifications is because these private tech companies are, are inventing reasons to keep you coming back. Like, hey, there's a new episode of the Rubin Report on the YouTube thing. You should probably swipe over and yep. watch it. Um, I mean, you can, some, you can leave uh, that one, of interest there. I get your, well, I get your You can leave that one on. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, uh, we used to tell people to go grayscale, which was kind of an experiment more in the pattern interrupt. So there's something in neurolinguistic programming and in hypnosis called a pattern interrupt. Um, when you look at your screen and you see these colorful icons, it's like at a low level in your like dopamine system, it's kind of activating these juicy rewards, the expectation there might be something for me. And if you turn your phone grayscale, which you can do by going into on an iPhone general, settings, general, accessibility, and then scroll all the way to the bottom to the accessibility shortcut. And you can make it so that when you triple click the right hand side of your phone or double click the thumb uh, uh, touch ID thing, it'll switch the phone into grayscale mode. And the power of that is when you look at your phone and it's in grayscale, it takes away just a little bit of that kind of juicy, sexy factor. And it makes it just a little bit less interesting. And more importantly, it, it re it's a reminder. It's a pattern interrupt because you look at your phone, you realize, oh, right, I want to be using this less. Um, I think for all these things to work, though, people actually have to have a real commitment that they make. They have to ask themselves, do I really want to use this less? Do I really want to have a different relationship to my phone? Because if you don't start with that intention, then these things are just empty tricks that are not really going to do anything. It starts with, obviously, you have to have some, some sense of personal responsibility and intentionality. And then if you can, honestly, take a day off a week. Just don't even bring it with you at all. Because we underestimate, there's, there's evidence that even having a smartphone on a table between two people talking actually reduces the amount of presence and connection that two mm -hmm. people feel, even if you never used it or even looked at it. Just the fact that it's there. And um, I think, you know, if you take a Sunday where you don't even have it in your pocket or near you, just leave it at home, a full digital Sabbath. It sounds so simple, but it really has a big impact. And I really recommend people try it. Yeah. One of the things I, I mentioned this in my book, actually, one of the things I was doing at restaurants, remember in the old days when you could go to restaurants, uh, I'd go out right. with friends. Remember when in, you could go out with times. friends? Yeah. And we, I would, I did this a couple of times where we would all put our phones in a stack on the center of the table and it was whoever grabbed their phone first had to pay for dinner. And it, it worked a couple of times because it kept people off because otherwise what happens always at dinner, it's the same thing. I find you can get eight people around a table and if nobody looks at their phone, if nobody's doing it, then no, everyone will kind of respect it. The second one person does it, everyone sees that moment. That's sort of the, the stopgap that you're talking about. And then everybody is like, okay, yeah. And next thing you know, five minutes later, you don't even realize you're sitting with seven other people. 
Totally, exactly. And, and it, it's actually just the suggestion. We used to do this an experiment, um, my co-founder uh, and I used to do, where I would just put the phone on the table and I would just reach for it just to touch it, not even to pick it up, just yep. reach for it to touch it. And you would actually notice in your own psyche, you would feel the need to touch your own phone just by even oh, God, reaching over that action. We're so suggestible. This is what I learned from hypnosis. I mean, suggestion is such a subtle and invisible thing. If you just point attention at something and just activate, like, because your brain is doing prediction, right? You're always sort of imagining, well, what would happen if? And when someone reaches over and grabs their phone, your brain sort of runs a quick mental process of, like, what will that feel like for me? And that's why it's so viral. I mean, it's like before the coronavirus, there was sort of phone reaching virus. And that's, uh, you know, it's a very powerful virus that uh, you got oh, to stop get, get ahead of. I mean, we're basically Pavlov's dog. It's like you reach, and next thing you know, you're drooling for that phone. Uh, well, listen, Tristan, I, I appreciate exactly. you doing this. And, and I'll get you back on in the fall, right, when I come back, and we can kind of do a, do a download, so to speak, about what we've talked Let's about here. But if you happen to make it to LA in the next month, it might be interesting to see you in person. So you, you know where oh, you can yeah. reach out to my guys, because that, that might be something. I, I might be down in LA in August or September, so let's, uh, let's make it happen one or the other. All right, great. Well, you guys can follow Tristan on Twitter if you want to be on yes. the Twitter. It's just at Tristan Harris, right? Yep. And we also, if anybody's interested in learning more about the effects of technology on society, we have a, a podcast called Your Undivided Attention. So, Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, and I'll see you in September. Thanks, Dave. All right. That is the uh, first of the three mini-interviews that I'm doing today that'll sort of frame exactly what I'm gonna be doing for the next month. And I hope they're giving, or they will all give you a little something to maybe incorporate in your life in August. You know, before the, the crazy 24-hour news cycle, you know, the other thing about August was August used to be the time, and before coronavirus and lockdowns and everything else, where most of us would take a family vacation when I was growing up. My family would always do that last week in August before we go back to school. We'd go to, I grew up in New York, we would go to Lake George or we would go to the Jersey Shore or we'd go to Vermont or something like that. Um, I think that if there's ever a time to do some level of disconnect for anybody, I do think it is August. I know it feels even weirder now. I mean, the weird thing because of the lockdowns and coronavirus is we all, we were all on this stuff endlessly, endlessly before all of it. And then what happened? Then we all got stuck at home and then we were, all, we're now all on it even more. I mean, just think about your day. If you're not going into the office anymore, if you're not commuting anymore, whatever it might be, the amount of time that we've all given to all of these things. And again, that is not to say that these things are all inherently evil. And I, I actually wanted to mention something to Tristan about, you know, he's now working with some of the people that, you know, the guy that did infinite scroll. It's like, I don't think that guy is inherently evil. I would love to chat with him actually. Um, but like these tools have been given to us and I think that's sort of why the internet feels so crazy. We got all of these tools and we're like kids with very advanced tools. We're still in our technological adolescence with things that we have no idea what they are. So that's why I'm doing it. Uh, I am gonna talk to Tom Merrick in a couple minutes. Tom is a, is a fitness guy, he's huge on on Instagram, I said to my guys, let's find somebody that is big in the fitness world that can just lay it out for me. What do, what do I need to do? I've got a bum shoulder, I got a banged up, torn ACL in my knee, but what are some of the things that I can do uh, during this break uh, that I can do at home, by the way, because I can't even go to the gym. I actually just canceled my gym membership. First off, I don't even think you can go to the gym here in LA right now, but I canceled my gym membership anyway because I want it, because there's so many freaking televisions at the gym that 
in the years past when I've tried to go and stay off the grid, I have to wear a low hat and I basically have to look down the entire time because there's news everywhere. I mean, and that's another thing. The way we've been slammed with at the gym or you go to a burger joint or you go to a bowling alley or wherever you go basically and CNN and Fox News and MSNBC are on, on the TVs everywhere. That, that's not healthy. I think you're allowed to go to a bowling alley and think about bowling. I think you're allowed to go to the gym and not think about the news. But at my gym here, you know, when, you, when I was doing cardio, they'd have like 40 machines lined up like this and they'd literally have 15 televisions. CNN, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, CNN, CNBC, NBC, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's just like this endless thing that we're all just kind of caught in. All right, so I'm gonna talk to, uh, I'm gonna talk to Tom in just a couple minutes. Reminder, I will be taking some of your questions if you submit them right now at rubenreport.com. And uh, to catch you guys up, if you're just jumping in right now, uh, my new book, will be coming out. It'll be coming out next year, I think. I think next year. The publishing process does take a while, but I have signed my new book deal, so I'm, I'm really psyched about that, and I'm thrilled to be working uh, with the people at Penguin Random House again, and, uh, and I think you're gonna really dig the direction of it. I'll probably, maybe I'll make the announcement of the title and, and sort of the direction of the book when I get back in September. Uh, also, I will be doing a three-day-a-week, I think live, we're not 100% sure yet, but I think live show in the mornings on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, starting on September 2nd, and I'll, I'll announce the partnership on that uh, come September 2nd, and I'm, I'm super psyched, and I think it's gonna be a really nice expansion of everything I'm doing without bludgeoning you guys with, with the daily headlines. Um, we're, we're not gonna blow up your phone. We're, we're not gonna blow up your phone with that stuff. All right, you know, why don't we do a couple questions uh, right now. Uh, Michael, if you, oh, there we go. I've got an iPad here. This is the last time I'll be looking at a bright iPad here. Uh, Patty, so these are all from RubenReport.com, which is our locals.com community. And just a reminder, guys, if you are a creator of any kind or if you own a nonprofit or a business or anything else and you want to have the tools to build a digital home for you and monetize it and create a great community without big tech, just check out what we're doing with locals. Um, Patty says, have you asked to interview Trump? Yes, we have. And actually, we've made a little headway and I have a short list basically of four things that I told my guys that I can be pulled back on the grid for. And one of them is if Trump's people respond and say, you gotta get to DC, we're willing to do it today. Yes, I will get back on the grid for that. Um, but I'm hoping that it doesn't actually happen in August. I hope we can do it in the fall, but we have reached out. We've gotten good response from them. You know, he just did the thing with Dave from Barstool Sports, which by the way, I thought was a fantastic interviewer. I, I like to think I know a little something about interviewing. I thought, I thought Dave did a, Great job, Dave Portnoy. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people gave him crap and then the mob tried to take out Barstool and it's like, he did a really nice job and I thought Trump got to open up in a way that he usually doesn't. But yes, I, I'm pretty sure we will get Trump before the election and we are gonna certainly, we are certainly gonna try. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, this is a great question from Megan. Seeing how crazy our country is getting, do you have any concerns that you might miss something crucial to your health or safety during the month of no news, whether it's riots near your home that you might not be aware of uh, or something like that? And do you have a safety feature in place if news information is essential? So look, we did think about this. And as I said, I've got these four things that I can be brought back on the grid for. Could there be a horrific terrorist attack? Could there be a, um, you know, we had three earthquakes two days ago here in LA. I woke up three, three times at night. One was a 4.2 at 4.30 in the morning that woke everybody up. Then there were two smaller ones. Like could some stuff happen that then 
could really affect my life where I need a phone and I need to be able to communicate with people. Of course, of course. So like those things exist. And then on top of it, you know, I, I, it's not fun to think about it, but you know, we've had riots and protests and everything else. Um, you know, LA obviously hasn't been as bad as Portland for sure, uh, where there are terrorists basically. I mean, Antifa is a terrorist organization in my opinion. You've got terrorists roaming the streets. Um, you know, we're not as bad as Portland. We're not as bad as Seattle. Could there be a certain set of things, I've laid it out, that I could be dragged back in for, yes. And, and of course, you know, David will have his phone, he's gonna to try to do a little bit of a detox as well, but like, we're not gonna be, uh, you know, World War III, if World War III happens, we'll have some way of getting some information about that. But I, I did have to think about that, which is kind of depressing. It's kind of depressing at one level, and on the other level, it's like, oh, well, that's exactly why I'm taking the time off, because we're not supposed to live in this thing all the time. But, but could some horrific things happen? Um, yes, it's possible. I, I, I'm trying to think, I was thinking about this yesterday, could something that is so great happen that I would, I would be shook, I would be needed to be shook back online? I don't know what that would be. That I would almost prefer, it would actually be kind of cool. Let's say on August 15th, let's say August 15th, something like spectacularly amazing happens. I don't know what that is. Like, would I need to know it before I came back on, I don't know. And that's a weird thing about the news. It's like when something good happens, you almost don't need to know it. Something seemingly horrific happens and you kind of feel like you have to know it. That's just sort of interesting piece of the psychology of all this. But all right, let's jump on with Tom Merrick. He is a fitness instructor, a lifestyle expert, and a guy that's gonna help a 44-year-old with a, with a bum shoulder and a torn ACL in his knee. He's gonna give me a little advice for this month off the grid. Tom, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm all right. So listen, we, we've never spoke before, but when I said to my guys, look, I want somebody in the fitness world that can spend 15 minutes with me setting me up for this month, you know, really where I want to I come back. I'm going to try to eat right, sleep right, all the things that we all kind of forget about sometimes and, and work out at home and hopefully come back a little, a little leaner, trimmer, maybe a, li a little more buff. They said, all right. Almost everybody said, you got to talk to Tom. So help me out here, man. I've got a month. What what should I be focusing on? Oh man, I, I feel like the first thing is you, you're gonna need more than a month. <laughs> well, I got a. Let's start me with a month. How about that? And then yeah. get, no, get me on the right foot. Of course, I'll continue after, and I do a pretty decent job right now. But like, if if someone had a yeah, month yeah. to really just like start the reset, what would you say? Um, you know what, I I think. The, the key would be to kind of avoid all the, I would guess you would say, Instavirus sort of posts out there. It's been quite an interesting one to observe. Like somebody, I do bodyweight training. That's like my my thing, I guess, flexibility sort of stuff. Um, and then there's sort of been this like influx of stuff since COVID. Everyone's trying to capitalize on the, you're training at home now, make the most of it sort of stuff. But a lot of it is um, just just not, not great. And I'm not saying this to discredit people. It's just that kind of, you presume that if you're training at home, things can't be hard. You know, you haven't got any weight, you haven't got any equipment, like how, how's that gonna be hard? Like, it's just easy. You gotta do a hundred reps of mountain climbers and, and all this like crazy um, sort of hit sort of stuff. But actually body weight training can be pretty damn hard. And I think that's probably the key component that I would suggest to you to do um, during this time is like, make sure your training remains pretty intense. Yeah. All right. So talk um, to me about like, talk to me about like kind of duration and like the type of stuff I've been doing. So first off, I do have a bunch of free weights. I got a whole bunch of different free weights. Amazing. I've even got battle ropes. 
I don't, I don't use them nice. too often right now, but I've got some battle ropes. Um, I've got, I know you do more on, on the muscle side, but I've got an elliptical machine. Um, so like kind of lay out, like, sh is, should I be doing stuff seven days a week? Do you want to give your body a rest? Like what's a, what's a good way for someone listening to this that just doesn't do anything, but they just want to start lifting, start moving. Like what should we be doing? Certainly every day isn't an essential. Um, I think for most people, three to four times a week is more than enough. Uh, you know, if, if you're doing, if you're doing too much and also you've done nothing beforehand, that is a great recipe to get more injuries. I know you said you're injured already, so we don't want to, we don't want to add to that. Um, three or four days per week and doing something like full body, uh, three days a week, or maybe an upper lower, um, four times a week. That's the sort of thing that's, that's really simple to implement and gives you plenty of rest in between. Like, so give me full body. What what what's full body? What am I doing? I wake up. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little breakfast. Have a little coffee. I'm gonna get there. What am I doing? Nice. Um. So I would personally stick to something that is kind of to do with German body composition training. So I would take an upper body exercise and I would pair it with a lower body exercise. And I'd do sort of three supersets. So for example, super straightforward. We could do a pull up with a squat. Um. Something like. In the in the six to eight rep range would be nice and simple. Uh, with with all of these, you're kind of thinking reasonable controlling movements, quick up, slow down. That kind of applies to everything. Um, no rest, no rest in between. Nice quick superset, and then like three minutes between that. We don't have still have lots of rest. We don't want to be going down the route of like hit training because it doesn't allow us to hit that intensity that we need to stimulate a lot of the muscle growth um, and those different pathways. So we want to keep things hard. Uh, that'd be your first one. Your second one, we'd do something like a handstand push-up, an overhead press, that sort of thing. And we'd probably pair that with a hamstring exercise. That could be a straight leg deadlift. It could be a good morning. It could be uh, a hamstring curl using sliders on the floor, anything like that. Kind of think of it as take an upper body compound movement, a lower body compound movement. Think opposite sides of the body. So push with pull of the legs or hamstrings and, and uh, pull of the upper body with push the lower body and just combine the two together, nice and simple. How much time should this be taken a day? I think if you're just doing strength training, anything longer than like 45 to 60 minutes is a little bit overkill. Um, you know, if you can, you can get a really effective workout, especially, you know, if you're doing like three times a week, if you're hitting full body three times a week, 45 minutes is, is, is more than enough, yeah, definitely. Yeah, where does cardio fit into that? <laughs> um, does it I, fit I into it at all? Well, considering you're talking about this like technological detox sort of side of things, I think probably the best cardio is to get outside. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of benefits to just being outside in nature, getting some sunlight, um, not being inside of artificial light. But yeah, certainly for me, cardio-wise, I think sprints are probably one of the best things that people can implement. No equipment, it gets you outside, it gets you in the sun, um, it gets you breathing some fresh air. And, and, there's, and then it's also pretty much endless possibilities. You know, you can do something as brutal as doing um, eight second sprint, 12 second rest, repeating 60 times. 60 times? That's, that sounds about right. It's about 20 minutes. Um, or, or you can do something a little bit, a little bit less intense, something like a 30 second all out sprint, rest two minutes between, repeat that sort of eight to 10 times. Those are just like 20 minutes, pretty balls to the wall for those 20 minutes. Um, but they're just a, a great way to get outside that or just you know, go for like a, a three or four hour walk. You don't want to do something that is in between that black hole area. It's kind of avoid that 60 minutes of something that's not quite hard enough to stimulate that higher end and 
not quite easy and slow enough to stimulate that lower ramp. Yeah, so I'm gonna to talk to Michaela Peterson in a couple minutes about sort of diet in a broad sense of what I wanna kind of be eating throughout the month. But if I start doing this, so let's say strength training four days a week, then I'm mixing up with cardio and walks and I'll get out there with my dog for a couple miles a day and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, on, the, on the strength training side though, um, I feel like people are always confused about what they're supposed to eat before and what they're supposed to eat right after. And, sure. and then to, when I'm at the gym, I see guys that are downing you know, black coffee while they're working out. And some people say don't eat before. And then some people want all these carbs after or like some, there, there's like so much conflicting stuff on that. What, what's your policy? Um, sure, I think, you know, caffeine, obviously performance enhancing substance, caffeine's great. Um, black coffee beforehand. I'm just a big coffee fan in general. So I'd always be about the coffee. Um, black coffee, there you exactly, go. Exactly. Uh, I always get jealous when I'm in like UK time. I was speaking to somebody over in the US. And I'm like, oh, damn, they're just drinking coffee and it's like too late for me to have anything. Um, but yeah, certainly coffee beforehand. You can eat if you want to. You don't have to. Um, obviously, not eating can impact performance to some extent, but for the most part, it's not. It's going to be a much of a muchness. Um, I, I think definitely most of the diet advice out there is geared towards people who want to lose weight. So you need to take that into account. Somebody such as yourself. You probably don't need to lose too much weight. If anything, you're looking more towards the growing some form of muscle. Um, and, and in which case, carbs are pretty useful. Uh, I'm actually personally a, a massive fan of Stan Effering's vertical diet. Uh, for anyone out there, that, that is a super, super simple way of applying like diet and nutrition. It kind of aligns down of what Michaela will probably talk to you about, that carnivore-esque kind of style of diet. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of the meat-based diet. I think meat has a lot of benefits, especially some of those organ meats. Um, but what I like is, is Stan Effering, he just, he brings in like the importance of carbohydrates for athletic performance. At the end of the day, you're going to be training like an athlete. You're going to do some strength training, you're doing some cardio, you're doing all this activity. You want to also support your body in performing that. If you go zero carbs, yes, it's doable, but uh, it's also going to be much more stressful. And, you know, if you're not adapt to that, it probably, it's probably going to affect your performance. So carbs post-training, never a bad thing. Right. So, so you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Like I, I don't really want to, I'm not trying to lose a lot of weight, obviously I'm basically no. in good shape, but everyone's got, or at least I've got, you know, that, that three pound thing on the belly. I'm four, I'm 44. It used to be easier to get rid of. I could, you know, if I, if I had like a crazy month of eating in the summer or something, like I could pretty much get rid of it almost immediately. Um, it does sure. take a little more time right now. Uh, what, what do you think about that thing? Because that's that's the part of the body I think everybody's always looking at. Um, I, I would honestly like if we're going generic advice here. Obviously, it'd be something a little bit different if we're going individual. But generic like sprints and lower carb for, for maybe some cycling, like having lower carb on day, higher carb on your training day, something like that would actually be very quick and simple as a, as a way of. Like, I know you have an ACL injury, which I just remembered. Maybe well, that's isn't. that's why I do. I don't. I don't really run outside. Like I don't go running on the street, but I do elliptical because you know you're just going like this. So for yeah, uh, you can for an think, ACL, it's okay. You, know, you can think super hard, like as hard as you can with that one for a little bit, and then easier. The, the nice thing about sprinting, I guess, elliptical as well, is you'll get the whole body involved. Yeah. So since I'm doing a, a digital detox situation here, uh, this morning when I was tweeting about what I'm doing today, I was trying to tag you on Twitter. You're not even on yeah. Twitter. You're, you're an Instagram guy. How, why did you make that decision? My friends just say like I'm a boomer already because I don't understand yeah. Twitter. I'm like, 
I, I used to do it when I was younger, but I just I didn't really get it. It was like lots of people shouting in the room. Like I kind of understand it. I think it's it's a cool medium, but um, I try to make my life as as uncomplex as possible. And and Twist is just another thing that I would have to update and keep track of. And um, for me, I just prefer keeping it simple. Like I, I don't actually really watch the news too much anyway. Um, I kind of my news I get from my parents. They're like, "Oh, did you do you hear about this?" I'm like, oh, "I have no idea that was happening." <laughs> um, but you're a wise Certainly man this... <laughs> wise or just naive i don't know yeah all right well listen where can uh where can people find you on instagram and anywhere else so they can check out what you've been doing sure uh, youtube can... you're, you're mostly on youtube right yeah i do a lot of flexibility stuff flexibility is probably my main thing but i do here on youtube um i think that's a great one great one about just unlocking your body's ability to it, it, i think you know, not being able to touch those, not being able to do it, sit in a squat, all of these sort of things can can feel quite restrictive and your body's fully capable. So certainly yeah, I'm, I'm big on flexibility, but yeah, you can just search my name on YouTube uh, or on Instagram and it'll come up. And if you like stretching or if you want to get into some stretching or handstands or bodyweight stuff, but yeah, that's what I do. All right. Well, listen, Tom, I if you want to get you weird looks in the gym, basically. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you doing this. And I, although I won't have a phone, I may have David snap some pictures of what I'm doing and send them to you, and you, you can give me some advice throughout the month. I'd love to see it. All right, great. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, that was Tom Merrick. So he's a humble guy. He didn't even want to give you the name of his YouTube channel directly. So you could just search Tom Merrick in YouTube. And he's, do, he's doing all sorts of interesting stuff. And I'm not kidding. All my guys were like, Tom's the guy you want to talk to. On, on fitness for the type of stuff that you want to do. So there you go. All right, so I'm going to talk to Michaela Peterson in a couple minutes. We're going to talk about the lion diet. Uh, I was on her podcast a couple weeks ago, actually, and we, we talked all about, uh, about diet, obviously, but then also about what it was like to be on, on tour with her dad and a little bit of updates on him, so maybe she can enlighten us, enlighten us a bit on that. Um, all right, let me jump into some of the questions. Uh, B Music asks, what are you going to miss most? Um, well, I think what I'll miss most, honestly, is, is mostly what's going on in the Ruben Report community. I mean, we've really created like a fantastic community of people with no trolls and no bots. I mean, that, that was the whole idea that I wanted to create with locals, that I, I wanted to build digital homes for creators. I, I believe you can say whatever you want uh, outside of my home, but I don't invite everybody into my home to say whatever they want and just to wreck the place. And so we've started to create these little digital, I would say walled gated communities. Walls are okay, people. And we've created digital communities where you set the rules as the creator and you can and welcome in whoever you want. And it, it does cost a couple bucks a month. Everybody, every creator on local sets their own price so that you're gonna get a certain type of person. And it is better than the interactions you get in most of the other places where it's free, although they did steal your soul, uh, because people have burner accounts and, and uh, you know a million accounts where they can just attack you anonymously and all that. So I will miss a lot of the good interactions, um, especially you know in the Ruben Port community, one of the things we've done is I got people sending me all sorts of recipes all the time, the books they're reading, family trips that they're taking, all art that they're making, like so many interesting, cool things. So I will miss some of that stuff. Um, for the month, but and as I said, we will po post some stuff of me behind the scenes. But I, you know, the positive interactions, because again, as I said, this is not all negative. It's not that I'm sitting here saying the internet is evil and and social media is all horrible and blah blah blah. It's it's incredible in so many ways. Um, but sometimes you also have to take a separation from from the good stuff. Um, 
Let's see. Usually you go on a trip in August when you check out and go off the grid, any destinations. We're not going anywhere this year. We, we've done different beach situations for the last couple of years. We are just, we're going to hunker down at home. As I mentioned before, we're in a, this is my last show in this studio. So we are going to be rebuilding some stuff and we're going to be doing some work. And I like doing a lot of the physical stuff too. So we, we will be doing that kind of stuff. We're just going to be home and we'll, you know, David will put some calls out to people if they want to come over for dinner. And, and hang out and relax and, and that'll be it. I guess we'll, we'll watch some movies. So I will watch movies. I'm not gonna watch television, but like if something's on Netflix, we'll, we'll watch something. Uh, if any of you guys have some Netflix recommendations, people love giving Netflix. Oh my God, you've gotta watch that thing. You, have you ever seen that thing? It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. They love Netflix recommendations. We're sort of out of stuff to watch right now. I haven't really found anything. We just watched um, Handmaid's Tale, which I totally liked. Um, Although it was reversed. When, when Handmaid's Tale was out, everyone kept saying, this is Trump's America, but it's much more what the left is ushering in, in authoritarian evilness than what Trump is ushering in. But that, that's a side note. We're watching The Last Castle or The Last Kingdom or the something, something. I don't know. I fall asleep in the middle of it. It's basically uh, Game of Thrones without dragons. It's like, what are you doing over there? Where are the dragons? Um, the Crazy Years asks me, what is your favorite tasty tropical drink while on vacation? And how many can you down before becoming embarrassing? I've got a great new drink. And I don't know that, I think I made it up and I want people to be having it. It is, it, well, I don't know that I, fu- I, I don't know that I fully made it up because it's a sort of uh, margarita situation, but I, I would like people to call it the Dave. Uh, what I do now on the weekends, if we're just, you know, I, most of you know, I'm, I'm a red wine guy. So I, I like a glass of red wine at night. Um, but during the day, if we're hanging out, if we're barbecuing, whatever it is, uh, everybody loves a margarita. So what I've been doing, it's sort of a make, it's almost a cross between a margarita and a mojito. Uh, so what I do is I take, uh, take a glass, fill it up to the top with ice. I do like just a little bit, almost like a quarter of a shot glass of uh, tequila, uh, not tequila, of uh, lime juice, quarter, quarter shot glass lime juice, put that in first. Then I do about a shot and a half of tequila. Um, I've been doing Patron lately, but whatever your tequila of choice is, shot and a half of that. Then I take real watermelon juice, real watermelon juice. I, you can just get a little one because a little one, you're, you only need like a splash of it. I'll do maybe like two splashes, splash or two of real watermelon juice. And then I fill up the rest either with just straight up club soda or with watermelon club soda, or you could add any other flavor club soda that you want that you can mix, that you feel like will mix well with watermelon and lime. Stir it up and it's sort of, it's not purely, it's tequila based with lime, so it's, it sort of feels like a margarita, but you've also got club soda in there, so it kind of feels like a mojito. And you can also, you can muddle, so I haven't done this yet. No, no, I did do it once. I did do it once, but then I put it in a blender and it didn't work out that well because club soda in a blender ain't gonna work. But you could muddle some lime in there, uh, sorry, muddle some, uh, some mint in there as well. Um, so that's it, so one more time. You take a glass, fill it up with ice. You're gonna put about a quarter of a shot glass of lime juice in there. You're gonna put about two splashes of fresh grape, uh, fresh watermelon juice. I've done this with grape juice too, which was weird. Uh, and then you're gonna put either just straight up club soda or you're gonna put watermelon flavored club soda or whatever else whatever other flavor you think will work in there and just stir it up and you got a great freaking drink. How many can I have without getting sloppy? Well, that's a shot and a half of tequila in there. Even by one, I've got like a, just like the, the right buzz, you know what I mean? Like the right daytime buzz. Two, I'm okay. I think I've done three a couple times and you know, if, after you've had three margaritas, you know, you're usually uh, pretty whacked. Um, 
All right, let's see. Uh, Tahira says, what type of guidelines do you recommend for people who wish to join the social media detox but need to stay plugged in? So I totally get it. Like, as I said, we, I, I've got a whole team of people that, that work for me and who are fantastic and my guys are all gonna be working and we're gonna be plotting out this new Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday show and we're, we're building out a new graphics package and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I guess I have a certain luxury in that because I've created these companies and you know, I've hired people that, that can do all this stuff. But I understand the average person can't do this, this month situation that I'm about to do. But I think, referring back to my conversation with Tristan a moment ago, there are little things you can do. Take social media off the weekends. Everyone can do that. Like literally everyone watching this. If you can't do both days for some reason, if you feel like that's too much, there is no reason uh, you know, you could do it old school Jewish, do Saturdays, you could do old school Christian, do Sundays, uh, and just take a day off where you're just not on social media. Yes, you, you may be getting texts, your phone may be ringing, but I don't think that's really the thing that's making us all crazy. Sometimes a lot of texting can make you crazy, but it's, it's the social media aspect. It's, it's what Tristan talked about, about the notifications, the constant, you're just sitting there, next thing you know, Trump said this, oh my God, next thing you know, oh my God, baby picture, terrorist attack. Sports game, like it's just like a crazy way to ingest news. Um, you know, I always mention this, but back in the old days when I used to fly on airplanes, remember that? Um, I don't have Facebook, but I sometimes if I'm sitting on a plane, you know you're sitting on a plane and someone's doing something and you're just kind of looking at them. You, you don't even know why you're doing it. It's not like they're doing anything great, but like you're just looking at what they're doing. They're reading a newspaper, they're looking on their iPad, whatever. And I would see sometimes people scrolling Facebook. And because I don't have Facebook, I completely have forgotten what Facebook is. But you're watching it and it's like, okay, terrorist attack, Trump said something, baby, birthday, crazy meme, animal. And it's like, can you imagine as you're just scrolling like the, the insane positives, negatives, joy, hate, evil, good, that's all just like slamming through you at all times. I don't think that's great to have. So take just a day off, just a day off a week if you can do it. Let's see. Um, Dave, how will you handle coming back to the grid and discovering that while you were gone, someone on Twitter called you a racist homophobe? I'll miss those people. Uh, not a day goes by where someone doesn't call me a racist homophobe. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I've managed it. I've managed it, it used to bother me. I'm not gonna say it, it never bothered me. Back years ago when, when all this started, all this craziness online, and people would write these articles about me and I'm far right and I'm racist and I'm a homophobe and like the rest of the nonsense, like it used to bother me. And now, you know, the media has been so exposed, the trolls are just the trolls, that it doesn't bother me anymore. It's like, you guys got nothing left. You guys got nothing left. And actually, if anything, you've done more to red pill people than, than the people that are talking about sensible things, the more hysterical you guys become. So I will be okay, even if when I return and I open Twitter for the first time, the first thing that I see is, Dave, you're a racist homophobe. Um, can Ted Cruz be the guest host when you return, or even Michael Knowles? I am not going to say it at the moment, but I promise it will be someone that you like, that the Rubin Report audience likes. Uh, Lauren, do you have more hope, clarity, and peace of mind when you come back from being unplugged? Yeah, yeah. You know, when I came back, I, was it two years ago? I don't think it was last year. I think it was two years ago, um, was when I came back and I said during the live stream, that I don't consider myself an atheist anymore. That is not 
a coincidence. It's, it's something that I had been thinking about for a long time. I, you know, I, I've said this many times and people get angry when I say it, but this is the truth. I, I never, there was like a, when I started the show as an interview show, The Rubin Report, back in the fall of 2015, I had had a bunch of well-known atheists on. It started obviously with Sam Harris and then Peter Bogosian and Michael Shermer and a couple other people who are, who are friends and wonderful people. And I had a lot of atheists on and then I think people just started thinking that I was an atheist. And then I sort of said it one day in just sort of like, it just kind of like blurted out, but I never felt that it really um, encompassed exactly what I believe. And I think I even referenced that. I, I gave a talk at the, um, the Reason Rally, which was at the in Washington DC at the, the mall, you know, like the, the place where Forrest Gump gave that big talk in front of the water. I, I spoke there in front of thousands of people. And I think I even referenced something to that effect. But anyway, when I came back from the grid two years ago and I had had time to be away and to think, it was just very obvious to me that I do believe in something else. I do believe, and, and this is where, you know, when people ask Jordan, does he believe in God? This is where the conversation can be so crazy. Um, and some people believe you have to have a personal relationship with God that's more of a, of a Christian belief. Um, you know, the, the more Jewish belief would be that there's a sort of grappling with God, um, and then there's many other beliefs around that. Um, but it was very obvious to me that I do believe in something outside of myself, and I think that that thing, and I write about this in the book, is the thing that we need to organize functional societies, which as I say all the time is why our founders were so brilliant because they said we have God-given rights, meaning you are born free and we're, all we're doing is setting up a government to protect those God-given rights. The government didn't give them to you because then other, that means that the government somehow made you free, but the government didn't make you free. It can take away your freedom, but it didn't give it to you. Anyway, the, I mentioned that because the fact that I was able to like, that that thought just kind of crystallized in my brain in August of two years ago, kind of shows you that if you give yourself some time to think and not be in the mix and the muck all the time, that I think that, I don't know what realization you'll come to in your life, but I think you will come to some realizations. Maybe you'll come to the, other, uh, the opposite realization. Maybe if you took a month off and you're a believer right now, you'd come to the realization that, ah, yeah, I'm not a believer anymore. I mean, who knows? Who knows? But there's probably only one way to find out. Uh, let's see. RJ wants to know, the world wants to know if Clyde will get his own Twitter account. Well, Clyde at the moment, maybe we'll get him in here before we uh, end the stream. Clyde, uh, you know, he had this scar when we got him. He had this scar on his head and we thought it was from abuse. And then we were gonna, we decided to get it removed because every few weeks it started bleeding and that's obviously not good. And it wasn't, it wasn't healing up. We took him to the uh, a special, it was actually through a, a fan at the Rubin Report community. She mentioned that her husband is a, is a dermatologist, an animal dermatologist in LA. So we, we took him there a couple of weeks ago. He had the thing removed. It turns out that it wasn't a scar. He was born with some sort of like cyst and there were like t a couple tiny ones. Anyway, he got them all removed. He's been in stitches in a cone for two weeks. He got the stitches out two days ago and it's starting to look a lot better, but uh, it didn't heal fully yet, so he's still got the freaking cone. The poor guy's been in a cone for like two and a half weeks. He's, he's just had it with the cone, uh, but he will be better on the other side. Will he have a Twitter account? Why would I subject my dog to it? All these celebrities with the dog Twitter accounts, it's like, you know what, I, I like dog pics. I put a lot of dog pics out there, but the dog doesn't need a Twitter account. Wouldn't that be counter everything else that I'm doing right here? Um, all right, one more, and then I'm gonna bring on Michaela Peterson. Uh, Chris says, how's Kyle Kashub? Is he behaving? 
<laughs> well, unless you know something about Kyle that I don't know, but Kyle actually just started his own podcast and he launched his community Testing. on Locals. I think it's kylekashuv.locals.com. Kyle, if you're watching, you can confirm that for the good people, uh, but he's building out a great community there. And I did his podcast. I am the first guest on his new podcast last night. And we opened up about a ton of stuff. He's, he actually is quite a good interviewer. Maybe he learned a little something from me, maybe not. Maybe he learned to learn not what to do for me. Um, but I really enjoyed talking to him. We talked for about an hour and a half and, and I think it's going up today. Uh, and it's kylekashuv.locals.com. And he's just a great, he's a great young person who I think has an incredibly bright future. And I'm thrilled that I, you know, have been just like a little piece of, of what has perhaps helped get him there. And on that note, let's bring on Michaela Peterson, who is the purveyor of the Lion Diet. And we're going to talk about the Lion Diet and eating meat and all sorts of stuff. Michaela, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm only a few hours away from disappearing, and I can feel the thing starting to bubble up in me. So uh, I wanted to talk to you about diet for 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, first off, um, can I ask where you are? I feel like every time I text you, you're in another country, you're doing something else. W what's going on at the moment? I am currently in Belgrade in Serbia. How's everything in Belgrade these days? Um, it's completely full of coronavirus, uh, but it turns right? out, that, yeah, they let everybody loose uh, about a month ago for elections and then cases skyrocketed. Um, but it's good. It's nice. It's kind of similar to Canada, weirdly enough, except just full of Central Eastern Europeans. It turns out I called it Eastern Europe once and people got pissed off. It's Southern Eastern. Something like Southern that. Eastern. Okay, you, you got to be very careful. Those, those Eastern Europeans can be touchy about that. So look, I, I have to ask you quickly before we do anything else, is, is there anything that you can kind of update people on with your dad or do you just, just want to leave it to that last conversation and then, and then we'll talk diet? Uh, we're surviving. Like things could be better. It's, there's a lot of up and downs, um, but we're, we're all still alive, so that's good. That's about all the detail I'm going to get into. That it's totally fine, and as I say to you all the time, send him my love, and, and everyone watching this I know is pulling for him. So, okay, you know I'm going off the grid. Um, I was on your podcast a couple weeks ago, and we, we talked quite extensively about diet, and I've told you that over the last two or three years, I had some autoimmune stuff, and mm -hmm. I switched to a mostly paleo, very low-carb diet, and it, my hair grew back because I had alopecia areata. I still have a couple little little spots back here. Uh, which I'm doing some stuff for, but I do mostly kind of meat, chicken, fish, and veggies. I want you right now to sell me on the lion diet because I'm going to have 30 days and I will commit to, let's say, five or seven days at least of trying it. So so sell it on me and what am I missing by, by not doing lion? Well, so the idea behind the lion diet, so that's all ruminant meat, is that most disease is caused by gut damage. Um, and there's a Hippocrates quote that what all disease originates in the gut, something like that. Um, so the idea behind the lion diet is you remove anything that's irritating to the gut. Ruminant meat is not irritating to the gut. Some people react well with eggs too. Um, you do that for long enough till your symptoms go away and heal the leaky gut. And then you introduce foods back in preferably with probiotics or fermented foods to 
regrow the microbiome that's probably damaged from antibiotics that everybody took at some point. So the, the all beef diet isn't like, it's dull. I mean, if you had to choose one food to eat, <laughs> then it, yeah. it would probably be steak, but it's, it's dull. And if you only do it for seven days, honestly, you're going to get serious cravings and you're not going to feel better in seven days. From what I've seen, and I've talked to thousands of people and lots of doctors who use this, there are a number of Russian doctors and Hungarian doctors that use a similar diet. And it's a meat-based diet at the beginning to heal the gut and then slowly incorporating in. And you start slow with like cooked vegetables and fermented foods. But it does take about six weeks to get some sort of gut healing to occur. If you do it for about seven days, you basically go into carb withdrawal and then you stop. Um, the fact that you've been on a paleo diet is going to make it a lot easier to get into the, um, like anything that's similar to an all beef diet, because most people who have a really hard time come straight from eating, like drinking Coke as their liquid and eating mm. pizza as their main food. And that's pretty nasty to drop all of those foods. But uh, paleo to carnivore, it'll be easier, but it's still not ple pleasant. But the idea behind it is that allows you to heal the gut and then you, well, can start from scratch with reintroduction. Right. I don't know so, if that's right. sold so anything. Guess, that's just the, the idea behind it. Right. So I don't know that I can do it for the, for the full month because part of the reason I go off the grid is so that I can like sort of fully enjoy foods and and everything else yeah. but i but i have but you know we talked about it i have been sort of incorporating more and more of this and mm -hmm. i i am really like I'm, I'm sort of amazed by it because when i was on tour with your dad for that year and a half i mean people thought it was a joke but i was with him for breakfast i was with him for lunch mm -hmm. i was with him for dinner he'd have you know sometimes he would have the steak cooked the night before so he could have breakfast and he would have the steak and everything else and i saw him physically feel better he would he would talk about how his uh his skin looked better and i was with him and i was like man, his skin really does look better or, or mm -hmm. his hair looked thicker or he would talk about sometimes like he had some like gingivitis Gum kind of disease. stuff and his teeth looked, yeah. his teeth looked better. So you've seen like th that, what I saw there, is that really what you consistently see with people that, that do this? Yeah, yeah, consistently. If people uh, are not taking medications and they really just go down to ruminant meat and sometimes that's a carnivore diet, sometimes they incorporate eggs in as well, fish. Um, if they stick with it for long enough, I haven't seen anybody's symptoms not improve um, unless they're still taking medications. And then sometimes that's enough to irritate. I guess that's enough to irritate your gut enough to not allow it to heal. But um, the idea isn't that the idea isn't that you should be stuck with this forever. At least that's not my opinion. I know there are some carnivore diet um, doctors out there that say, you know, this is how people are supposed to eat and that's it. But mm -hmm. I don't I don't think that's true. I think that people thrive on a on a largely meat diet. Um, but if they eat like certain fruits, certain vegetables prepared in an appropriate way, then that's totally fine. Right. What, what do you say to the people that would say, well, all right, if you did six weeks just meat before you introduce any of this stuff, that you're not getting certain vitamins and minerals that you need. Do you, do you recommend that people take supplements or you think that it's just pure meat for that reset and that's then when you incorporate that stuff back, that you'll, you'll be okay in essence until you're back on some of the other stuff? Yeah, you're, you're gonna wanna keep it um, higher on the fat ratios. Just doing lean meat is not gonna make people feel very good. But I did 
like steak, only steak for about a year. And then I started incorporating liver in. Um, I've seen some people improve when they have certain organs, um, but, but a lot of those people are vitamin deficient to begin with. Um, so I'd say testing your vitamins is useful, but you can get all the nutrients you need from meat plus organs for some people. Um, and six weeks is nothing. Like I wouldn't worry about that at all. Right. For the people that just don't know you or know your story, the re you came to this in a pretty freaking amazing situation because you went through, as your dad would put it, some pretty brutal health stuff. Can you just tell everybody like what caused you to do this and how it actually did help you? Yeah, I'll give like a two minute overview. Um, yeah. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid art, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was seven. I had symptoms starting at two. Uh, I was put on like a plethora of drugs um, and I still ended up with my hip and ankle replaced when I was 17. I had a mood disorder, um, bipolar type two. I could barely function because of the brain fog. Then I was diagnosed with idiopathic hypersomnia and I was just sleeping all the time, exhausted all the time. And then I started getting skin problems and rashes and it was just like, I got sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. And at one point I kind of thought, hell, I'll just try an elimination diet just to see what happens. And I came up with my own elimination diet in 2015 that was just like very simplified paleo, basically, like meats, certain root vegetables. Um, yeah, that was it. And I got way better within a month. Um, it, it, like it really only took a month. It was crazy. Uh, and I started a blog uh, because I honestly kind of thought I was nuts. It was like, I lost a bunch of weight, my arthritis went away, three months later my depression went away, my skin healed, um, and I thought, why is nobody talking about this? Because there weren't as many, you know, now there are paleo and keto groups everywhere, but I scoured the internet, I couldn't find anyone else who'd had the same experience, and mine was pretty severe, like people don't have joints replaced when they're a teenager. Um, but yeah, I came to the meat diet eventually cause I got pregnant, had a baby and I seemed to have lost my tolerance for the vegetables. My autoimmune disorder came back even on my very limited paleo diet. And I kind of gave up and thought, okay, I know I don't react to beef. I'll just try that out of desperation. And because I actually like do like vegetables and fruit. Um, and I just stuck with it and it was kind of miserable at the beginning and six weeks in my depression lifted, lifted five months in my anxiety went away and it was maybe a week when my joints started feeling better. Like that happened more quickly. Uh, so I've been publicizing that, but now I've found doctors who are actually using this diet to treat. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of my background. And it started, started sounding crazy because newspapers were, were coming out saying, you know, beef girl says beef heals everything. <laughs> But the actual idea is that diseases, a lot of diseases caused by leaky gut. And if you eliminate everything other than like animal protein and fat, that seems to heal leaky gut. And then you should be able to reintroduce. And I haven't told anybody yet, but I reintroduced like apples, which used to give me serious autoimmune problems. And I've had no problems so far. Wow. I seem to be more tolerant than I was prior to the diet. So the whole leaky gut theory and being able to heal and being able to vary your diet seems to actually be working. Fingers crossed. Wow, that's incredible. 
Yeah, no, and I've, I've seen it firsthand, and I remember when I was on tour with your dad, and he was talking about some of the stuff you were going through, and I remember hearing you say that you were getting better and, and all this stuff. I realized that as you were telling me that, I took a sip of coffee, black coffee. Are you telling yeah. me I cannot have black coffee? Because that, I could get rid of, I have no problem. I don't eat donuts. Like, I don't care about the sugary stuff. I really don't. I can get rid of the bread. Yeah, I'd miss, I'd miss a slice of pizza every couple weeks. But like, coffee, come on. Get, can I have some coffee? It's really like it depends. It depends on you. You'll know. Like if people stick with this for long enough, I, I, I know of people whose problems didn't go away just because they were drinking coffee, sticking to the diet, just drinking coffee. And as soon as I got rid of the coffee, whatever issue they had went away. Um, so yeah, I would say ditch the coffee, but it also depends how sensitive you are. Like alopecia means you have some sort of inflammatory problem. But you don't have like full-blown autoimmunity. Like for those people, I'd say just ditch the coffee until you feel better. Um, but then you're going to go yeah. through caffeine withdrawal, so that that would suck. <laughs> that would <laughs> suck indeed. What what about where does booze fit into this? Because you know some of my best nights with your dad, although he was do just doing the beef thing, every now and again we'd go out for dinner after, sometimes with a group, sometimes just us and your mom, and and he'd have a whiskey. And I know how much he enjoyed it. He, what, he, the guy, he wasn't getting drunk, but just to be able to sit there and have something else. Where, where does booze fit into this? So, and I, this makes the entire thing sound less credible, but I uh -oh. didn't really have an issue with bourbon and vodka. And those are both uh, distilled from grain, but they're distilled, so there's no grain left. They don't add anything after the distillation, unlike... Uh, gin, scotch, like those all have things added in after. They made me feel terrible on a zero carb diet. Hangovers are way worse, but um, I seem to have healed keeping alcohol. I eliminated it for the first maybe nine months because um, I just needed to get my autoimmune symptoms under control. But then I, I can manage to drink alcohol, specifically vodka yeah. and bourbon. So I would say that's actually probably less irritating because there's no plant compounds left than coffee. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of this is a little just trial for everybody, that you have to kind of see how your system reacts to some of this stuff, which I guess makes it kind of weird, but it's, it's sort of empowering at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people have to go down to all beef and they have to stick with that for like a year. You know, if you have multiple sclerosis or something, or me, it took me a while. Um, but other people can just go down to paleo and see exactly the same results. So it seems like if you eliminate, like the main goal is eliminate processed foods, grains, legumes, you know, sugar, eliminate that seriously inflammatory foods. And some people are fine with that. But if you're already seeing health problems, if you're older, uh, sometimes you have to be more strict. But yeah. I think you can heal after that. You just have to give your body that ability to heal and then you can start bugging it again with certain things and it has more of a tolerance. All right, Michaela, well, since I read 12 Rules for Life and, and lived it for a long time, I'm not gonna lie to you and say that I'm going all beef this month, but I am gonna incorporate some of this stuff for sure. And I know that plenty of people that are watching this will do as well. Uh, where, can we, where can we send people to find out um, more? I've got, okay, so I have my website, michaelapeterson.com. Um, I'm Michaela Peterson on Instagram. Michaela Alexis on Twitter and my Facebook groups actually have a lot of information and that's don't eat that and the lion diet. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And of course, uh, send my love to your dad and to your mom and everybody else. And uh, I'll talk to you in September. Thank you. Have a good month.
All right, thanks, you too. All right, so there we go. I will incorporate, I didn't realize that actually, what she said, that the seven day thing really won't do that much. I may try to do some version of that anyway because it's sort of just like a hyper paleo thing. Um, but I'm not having like all sorts of issues. But for those of you that aren't sure what I was referencing, I, I talk about it in the book and I've mentioned it on a couple of live streams. Uh, a couple of years ago, I developed this autoimmune disease called alopecia areata, which all they can chalk it up to is stress. I had all my blood done and all the tests and I was fine otherwise. But I lost huge, huge chunks of hair, mostly in the back of my head, side over here. Uh, there were episodes in my show where we were literally spraying on my hair and painting the back of my head and it was horrible and I, I went on this crazy experimental medication and this is just as my career was taking off and I really thought about quitting for a while. I actually, there was a day where I was like done. I really was done. I, I, again, it's in the book. Um, and then I did start changing my diet as, as part of this uh, because it's an autoimmune disease. It's an it's a inflammatory situation and I started eating foods that were less inflammatory or anti-inflammatory foods. And, uh, and I have solved most of it, but I do, I do still have two or three like little ones, almost like a, I got like two or three like dime size spots uh, on my head that don't have hair. And I, I do something called, uh, uh, it's called plasma, plate, plasma rich therapy, Plas PRP, plasma rich, plasma, PRP. Someone tell me what PRP stands for. But in essence, uh, every other month they take my blood they spin it in a centrifuge, the blood separates, and then they inject the plasma, my own plasma, back into my head, like into those spots, and that helps regrow hair. It, has, it hasn't been absolutely platelet-rich plasma, thank you very much, voice of God that appeared in my ear, uh, platelet-rich plasma. Um, and they can do that in something called microneedling, which I do, so I do one month of platelet-rich plasma, and then I take a month off and I do microneedling, which is they take, in essence, an electronic needle, and they just ding you in the head like a gajillion times. It, it does not feel good, I assure you of that. Um, when I do the platelet-rich plasma, because it's a bigger needle, I get some of the happy gas, which the first few times I really liked, like you're kind of like just lost in la-la land, you don't even know what you're saying, and my doctor would always be like, dude, you're, you're saying some crazy stuff but you kind of, whatever, uh, now I don't like it anymore. Something happened where it was like, I don't know, I went from like enjoying it where now I'm like, I'd rather deal with the pain than that. Um, but a few of you have met, reached out to me over the last couple of months and mentioned that you've been uh, dealing with some uh, inflammatory stuff yourself. And some of you have talked about alopecia and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and I basically have it under control right now. So that is good. Um, okay, let me jump. Yeah, so I'm gonna jump back to some questions. Again, if you wanna submit some questions, you can go to rubenreport.com or you can download our iOS or Google Android app. Just search Ruben Report or you can just download the Locals app which has all the people that are on Locals and it's growing and growing and growing. We have so much good stuff going on with Locals right now, it's crazy. Uh, but Scott Adams is on there, Carlin Borsenko's on there, Bridget Fetizzi's on there, Zuby's on there, Kyle Kashub's on there, Michael Malice is on there. We got a whole bunch of groups that have nothing to do with me. The, the platform itself, it, 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 right now it's coming from my world because you know I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of the company. But even if you're one of the political people that hate me, if you wanna build a digital home where you own all your stuff and you can make money and it has nothing to do with me, we're just giving you the tools and you wanna make a community called Dave Rubin's an Idiot, go ahead, feel free to monetize it, my pleasure. And, uh, and it's not just politics, gamers, unboxers, knitters, whatever the, whatever the hell you might be. Um, Heavy Metal Homo says, what are the general rules for being off the grid? I mean, I think everyone can kind of do it 
their own way. I'm obviously doing something extremely aggressive and uh, intense by, by shutting it down altogether. Um, but whatever it means to you, you know, it's not that you can't walk around without a phone. I mean, there's security reasons you might want to have a phone and staying connected with family and the rest of it. Um, but I think the social media component is the part. So as I said before, if you could take a Saturday off or a Sunday or maybe both, or maybe one week in August, maybe the last week in August, just take the week off. Some version of that, maybe try not to check emails on weekends. You know, like I think you have to figure, sort of like what Michaela was just saying about the diet, you have to figure out something that works for you. Um, there's something about this like very extreme measure that I've really come to love and appreciate and the fact that so many people are so interested uh, when I'm doing it, it's, it's kind of amazing and it shows that maybe I'm onto something here. Um, but you gotta figure out some rules that work for you. These, all the people that I'm reading questions from, by the way, are in the Rubin Report community. And it's like, if, if the entire internet was in essence what we've built there and what we'll continue to add features to and build there, which it was just sort of goodness and not overloaded with insanity and pleasant people sharing pleasant things, then I think we would all sort of need this less, but that's just not reality as it is. We're building our own sort of alternate reality over there, which is, which is pretty good. Um, let's see, Chris says, are we kooky conspiracy theorists for thinking that excessive quarantines and attacks on federal courthouses are election year political maneuvers? I mean, we're all conspiracy theorists these days. Like we, the media has been so decimated. Journalism has been so destroyed. Our institutions have been so rotted out that if you're not a conspiracy theorist at some level, if you're just accepting whatever the mainstream narrative is, if you're just getting the New York Times to your doorstep and reading it and being like, well, now I got the truth, or you're watching Don Lemon, as uh, Tucker Carlson calls him, or whatever you're getting on CNN and thinking, oh, that's giving you unbiased news, that, that's just crazy. So it's funny because the terms conspiracy theorists, like that somehow is you believe in ancient aliens and you believe that in JFK assassination theories and all this other stuff. I don't think that's really what people mean by conspiracy theory anymore. If you just sort of don't accept the mainstream narrative, then almost everything's a conspiracy. And I don't think there's a lot of reason to accept the mainstream narrative. That It's a sort of dangerous place to be in. Um, but I would say that it partly feels at some level that these rolling lockdowns, remember we were told 15 days to flatten the curve and then everything will be back to normal. And you can find videos of me saying back in June, if not May, when I was saying that when there was this rumor that in California, they were gonna close us down till August 1st. And I kept saying, well, the problem here is that I guarantee you by the end of July, last couple days of July, they're gonna tell us this is rolling into August and congratulations. We're in the last day of July and it's rolling into August. We know that suddenly in September, they're gonna tell us it's the fall and now because of the weather change, it's sparking again. And we see now teachers unions saying teachers won't teach in classrooms. And this morning I saw teachers in LA saying they won't even teach on Skype. So there are, that's not to say it's all some grand conspiracy with some guy pulling the strings, but like all of the weirdness, all of the inconsistencies, they all do add up to something. And when you factor in the fact that we have an election coming, and although it's hard to remember, you know, right before coronavirus hit, everything in the country was going really, really well. Trump did not have us going to other wars, right? We were ending wars. Um, 
we, the economy was going great. Black unemployment was at an all-time low. Like there were so many good markers. And then now this thing has been injected into the system and we can debate whether the, the policies and the lockdowns and the quarantines have all been right and all that. But I don't think it's a conspiracy theory to say that Democrat-run cities and states are in some ways trying to destroy themselves knowing that the federal government will have to bail them out and somehow that will reflect poorly on Trump. The, the, look at Portland, like these riots, now this is half coronavirus, half uh, BLM, Antifa stuff, but like these riots, like Portland decided that the police could not defend federal buildings, that Portland could not defend their own stores and their own citizens, and then, you know, the National Guard had to be called in and then it did clean it up. But then you watch Democratic politicians say, Trump's sending his soldiers in. And it's like, well, why didn't you guys protect your citizens and, and, and your property? Because in a way they don't want to, because this is where, and I mean, without sounding like I'm beating a dead horse, Progressives sound nice, they sound nice, and all of their policies in every single way end up hurting the very people they purport to be helping. And I think people are waking up to it, and there's a lot of things that feel like conspiracy theories that I don't think are that conspiratorial anymore. Um, Torrid asks, you usually go on a trip in August, um, any destinations this year? As I said, we're just, we're just hunkering down at home. We'll have, we'll have some people come over and visit and, uh, but that, that's it. We're just, you know, I guess we could have tried, we may do like a, like a weekend trip, maybe just drive up to Sonoma or Santa Barbara or something like that, but we're not, we're not doing major stuff. Um, Jeff says, will you interview a Democrat on the Rubin Report soon? Well, look, I've had plenty of Democrats on. I've had Tulsi Gabbard on and Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson. Uh, look, I would be more than happy. I've gone after them on Twitter. So I don't know that they want to talk to me, but I would gladly talk to AOC. I would gladly talk to Bernie. I would gladly talk to Kamala Harris. By the way, even though sometimes I'll go after them on Twitter, we have gone through all of the back channels for a long time to respectfully get these people on. They do all sorts of other lefty shows, but they don't really want to talk to people that they disagree with. Um, but I would, I would have Nancy Pelosi on, of course. I would love to find, and someone please point out this person if they exist, if there is a mainstream Democrat uh, that is willing uh, to, to especially to talk about what is happening with the progressive psychosis that is destroying their party, I would absolutely love to talk to them, but I'll talk to the progressives too. Um, what can people do? This is from Elijah. What can people do in the face of cancel culture? There is only one thing you can do, and it is say what you believe. I know it sucks, and I know it sounds kind of cliche, but there's no Calvary coming. I think everyone's waiting for the Calvary to come and save everybody. They ain't coming. You're the Calvary. You've got to stand up for what you believe. If you don't, that gives oxygen to the bad guys to keep coming. Cancel culture preys on the fact that most of us are just decent people who wanna live and let live, and, they, and because of that, they feel that they can keep encroaching, and, and they'll keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And in many ways, the, the liberals were the guiltiest party here, and that's hard for me to admit, but I think it's true. All the academic liberals who watched all of the conservatives get canceled and deplatformed and attacked and called racist and bigots all these years for usually unjust reasons, well, now they see it turning on them. This is sort of what that Harper's letter was about. And they see it turning on them, and suddenly they're realizing that you can't 
feed this alligator because this alligator never gets full and we can keep throwing people under the bus and there were several people on that letter who have tried to destroy me because people have written articles. Ruben goes on Tucker Carlson and he shared a Donald Trump Jr. tweet. He, you know, in, in essence, he must be destroyed. He's a bad guy for doing that. They thought they could feed enough people to the alligator and the alligator would just be like, oh, I'm done eating, I'm moving along. The alligator is now encroaching the land that they sit on. So I am glad that some of the liberals are waking up. Barry Weiss obviously has woken up. Um, Matt Taibbi, like a couple of these people, uh, Andrew Sullivan, like they're waking up, but like, you know, they're just saying the stuff that I said five years ago. Um, and you know, Barry Weiss specifically, and I don't mean this as a personal attack in any way, but the day after the intellectual dark web piece came out in New York Times, um, she called me crying, basically apologizing that the editor took out the nice stuff about me and they just had to throw somebody under the bus in the article because it couldn't be a, a love fest. And then I was out to dinner with her a few weeks later. D David reminded me of this a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago actually, when she resigned from the New York Times. But we were out to dinner and I went to the bathroom and David told me how she told him how sorry she was about the article. Well, it's like, Barry, why don't you admit that publicly? Admit how the editors manipulated you publicly because otherwise, it, you're still sort of throwing me under the bus. I don't mean to make this about me, but I think you get my point. It's like the New York Times has been up to this bad stuff for a really, really long time. And uh, I think the liberals, the irony is that this is, this is the split. The split is you're a liberal, you're a decent old school liberal. All right, you think you can fix that thing? I talk about this all the time. You think you can fix what's going on with the progressives? I've never seen any evidence of it. They never stop. The social justice ideology is a, is a mind virus that destroys everything. But if you think you can fix that, congratulations and, and good for you and go for it. What I think is that conservatives have proven themselves to be decent, usually nicer, happier people. And I would rather build some bridges that way with people that I have some political disagreements with. Who cares? Okay. Teddy says, does David Janik keep up to date on news uh, and is he totally off the grid? No, as I said before, he will take some pictures and behind the scenes things of me, preferably when I'm not watching. I'm not gonna be smiling at the camera, um, but maybe about what we're eating and some of the activities that we're doing and stuff like that. And we will post them on the Rubin Report community so you'll see them there. But he's gonna do his own slight version of off the grid, but he also is the um, executive producer of the show and manages of all of our employees. So he has some other things to do in the midst of all of this. Uh, Chris says, can you explain what shadow banning is for those of us who don't know? Yeah, shadow banning, uh, it's mostly thought of as a Twitter feature, not a bug, but a feature. Uh, this in essence is that when you follow people on Twitter, um, what, you have, what we all expected when we got on Twitter was that let's say you follow 10 people on Twitter, you expect your feed to be chronologically what these people are tweeting out and not removing some tweets occasionally or somehow people being missing from your feed. You think, I follow 10 people, I'm gonna see all of their stuff in my feed. Shadow banning is when the algorithm decides to just remove certain people or remove certain tweets or suppress certain tweets or make sure that certain tweets don't get a certain amount of retweets or likes or anything like that. Now we know, I keep, telling people about this, it's in the terms of service. In the Twitter terms of service, it talks about how they can, uh, they can boost, I don't, I don't remember the exact language that they use, but that in essence, they can make sure more things are seen and some things aren't seen. So that is shadow banning. It's called shadow banning because you don't know it's happening to you. And we see this all the time. Like if I tweet about locals, or even this morning when I tweeted about the live stream, it got very, very few retweets, but I could literally tweet out a picture. I mean, I, t I tested this the other day. So the other day, there was a, a, a trend on Twitter 
that was, what was the trend on Twitter? Michael, help me out here. There was a trend on Twitter, something, maybe it was about impeachment or, oh, or people turning against Trump or, or something like that. And I was like, that phrase seems very odd that it's trending. And I looked and apparently there was a Bloomberg article that had this phrase. I can't remember exactly what it was. It's been a busy couple days. Uh, but I saw, I looked at it and it was like, it had like 300 retweets. And I was like, there's no way that phrase could be trending because of that. And I quickly, I checked and it was like, there's nobody tweeting about this. So I tweeted that out and then I said, you know what, I bet I could post a picture of Alf and a poop emoji and it will get more retweets than that. And my picture of Alf and a poop emoji got something like 3,000 retweets and 10,000 likes, but that didn't trend. Now, all of this is, without getting too insider baseball, it just shows you that they are messing around with us. Uh, in ways that are unimaginable. And that's what these congressional hearings were about. And I suspect that that's gonna continue to be some of the hot topics. Like I think I'm gonna miss a lot related to all of that. But in essence, shadow banning is when they're not showing you the stuff that you signed up to show for. Um, let's see, a whole bunch of you were asking me, I see, I see the crazy years is asking this and a couple other people also asked something along this lines, like what kind of event would it take you to break, um, break your digital quarantine? Um, so again, I, I, have a, I have four things that I wrote out that could bring me back that aren't all public things. I mean, some of them are, are personal things. Um, I hope that I don't have to come back. Um, but you know, if, if there's some like true horrific incident that could severely affect my life or the life of people that I love or something like that, like then we'll see what happens. Um, but you know, if, if it's just like bad news, like bad stuff is happening, you know, and it's just bad news, like, that's the point of me taking the break in the first place. So if you know some bad stuff's going on and Minneapolis is burning again, it's like, I don't need to come back for that. That's partly why I'm going off in the first place. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, Jay asks, what's the next phase of Locals? Can you give us a look into the future updates, additions, innovations, your wish list? So we're gonna have live video streaming uh, soon enough. We're gonna have some sort of extra features related to donations so that if you don't wanna do monthly things, I think we're gonna add some of that or, or perhaps you're gonna have to still do monthly and then you can dole out uh, tips and things differently. Um, we just added, if you, down, if you update your locals.com app, so just if you don't have the app, just go to the app store and search locals.com, we now have an unmanipulated feed. So whoever you follow, you now get an aggregated feed the way Twitter was supposed to be of all of those people. Um, so we just added that in the last day or two. People have been asking us about that. Uh, we're working on a whole bunch of feature sets. You know, this has been a whole other experience for me because in the midst of the last year, I started a tech company and I had to raise funds for that and, and everything else. I think this is gonna be a huge year for us. I don't know if you guys saw this yesterday, but Patreon lost a fairly major lawsuit that could, in, in essence, really cause massive, massive problems for the, for the platform. I don't think Patreon is the right set of answers anyway. Patreon is just a crowdfunding place. Um, that's it, no one uses community features there, but in essence, what Locals is doing is building you actual communities. It's sort of building your own fan club. Um, and, uh, and we've got a lot of great stuff coming. So uh, I, can't, I can't relate it all. I can't say it all. Oh, thank you for this, Michael. Uh, in the tw Twitter terms of service, um, because I wanna get back to the shadow banning thing. This is exactly what it says in the Twitter terms of service. We may also remo remove or refuse to distribute any content on these services limit distribution or visibility of any content on this service, suspend or terminate users and reclaim usernames without liability to you. So let me reread the important part again. 
limit distribution or visibility of any content on the service. Now really think about what that means. That means that if Twitter so chooses, let's say that Twitter's probably not a huge fan of Donald Trump. Now let's say the President of the United States tweets something. What if they only show it to half of his followers? What if they, or, I mean there's so many sort of twisted ways they could do this. What if they say, okay, we'll show it to all of his followers, but when his followers retweet it, we're only gonna show it to 10% of the people they retweet it to. I mean, we could extrapolate a million ways that they could manipulate you with that. So that Twitter, believe it or not, people, shadow banning is in the terms of service. One of the things I keep saying on Twitter is that we're all playing a rigged game and pretending it isn't rigged. I mean, we're basically, the Harlem Globetrotters versus the Washington Generals, and we're playing as if, or we're all watching the game as if we don't know who's gonna win in the end. The Generals did win once, I think it was accidental, but you pretty much know who's gonna win, and it ain't the Generals. Um, okay, let's see. Um, a lot of people asking me if I'm traveling, but again, not, not traveling. Um, please let it be Jordan Peterson who brings you back. That would be spectacular. Michaela just checked in. They'll, they'll, they'll hopefully have some more updates, and it will be great to have Jordan back. I, I, I can't really say that enough. I can't really say that enough. Oh, uh, well, here's a couple good ones. Um, Peter says, who do you think will be Joe Biden's running mate? So that is one of the big pieces of news I will miss because he most certainly will announce this in August. I'm hearing it come as early as next week. You know, there was this political article where they accidentally leaked uh, that it's gonna be Kamala Harris and they even had a statement about her from Joe Biden. Now, is that an actual leak? Was it a planted leak to see how the people would react or how the media would react. I, I just, I really think Kamala Harris is awful. I think she's the worst sort of authoritarian and I don't think she believes in the constitution and I've talked about that many times before. I don't think it will be her. So I'll, I'll make a prediction. Maybe I'll be right, maybe I'll be wrong. We shall see. Um, I have a feeling that it will not be someone who ran in the primaries. Now, first off, we know he's, going with a woman. He has said that a million times. So could he possibly back out of that? I think he'd probably regret saying it, but I don't see how he can back out of it, right? And he's an old white man, so he's evil by his own party's ideology. Uh, so he's saying it has to be a woman. Now, so you could take a couple of the women that were in the primary, so that leaves you with Kamala, Elizabeth Warren, um, Klobuchar, Tulsi, although they really just tried to kick her out. Am I forgetting any other women there? Is there another woman I might be forgetting? I think, I think those were the big ones. Um, I don't think it'll be Elizabeth Warren because there's too much of a rivalry with her and Bernie and the Bernie people are gonna burn down the whole thing either way. I mean, everyone that's rioting right now and taking down statues, they're all Bernie supporters. Bernie, Bernie brought this thing out. This is all Bernie's fault. Uh, he was screaming for years how evil America is and how racist we are and how he wants a political revolution, but what he really meant was he wants a regular revolution. And a regular revolution is violent. He only said political, because every revolution is political. The French Revolution was political, the American Revolution is political, but he didn't want to say revolution, because people know that comes with heads on spikes and things like that. So Bernie has brought this thing forth. Anyway, I don't think it's gonna be any of the women that ran. I think he will go outside for some like unknown excitement. Could it be Michelle Obama? I think anything is freaking possible. I think, this is what I will say, whatever happens related to the, the Democratic VP, nothing will surprise me. There will be no way I could be surprised. When I sit back down on September 1st and my guest host tells me who it is, nothing could surprise me. You could tell me that Biden dropped out and announced that he has 
you know, dementia or some other cognitive problem or has some other health problem or just doesn't want to do it or has a backache or whatever, that wouldn't surprise me if then they smuggle in somebody else. It wouldn't surprise me if it's Michelle Obama. It wouldn't, nothing would surprise me because the whole thing is so fixed and so corrupt and the DNC is so deeply, deeply corrupt. And even right now watching, watching Biden like basically take Bernie's platform. If you're, if you, I don't know how, if you, are a, if you are a lifelong moderate Democrat, which most people in the Democratic Party were for a long time, you're watching your whole thing be destroyed. And that's why I think most of those people are gonna end up voting for Trump. It's just not gonna show up in the polls, but an average Democrat's gonna go, well, this thing is insane. This thing is completely bananas. You know, maybe I don't like the way Trump speaks and he is orange, but at least he likes America. Um, and I think, I think that will not show up in the polls, but nothing will surprise me. It's very possible Joe Biden will not be the nominee. I don't think they're gonna let him debate. I mean, I, I think they tried to smuggle Biden in. They, they coalesced around Biden because they thought that was the tolerable one to the electorate because their own electorate isn't as radical as, as the party is or whatever, as the machinery is. And they didn't realize that Biden was gonna break down this quickly. Um, but it's, it's obvious to everyone, as I keep saying, the scandal is the non-scandal. The scandal is not that Biden has dementia or whatever it is. The scandal is that no one will talk about it, right? All day, uh, almost every day I tweet something about why doesn't, can, can any Democrat, any blue check Democrat politician or pundit, will anyone go on the record saying they don't think there's anything wrong with him cognitively? And no one will do it. No one will do it because they all know something's wrong with him. And the second it leaks, which it will leak at some point, he may be president at that point, and then we've got a much bigger problem. But the second it leaks, they're all gonna say, oh, I knew it too, I wanted to say something, but the party apparatus wouldn't let me, the DNC wouldn't let me, uh, they stopped me from saying something, but I was the good guy. It's coming out, guys. You guys created the monster, and now you gotta figure out what to do with the monster. So nothing will surprise me. Biden may not be the nominee. Michelle Obama may be the nominee. She could be the backup. You could, who the freak knows? Like, it really, it's so bananas that who the hell knows? But my, my, my real gut feeling is it will not be one of the women. Assuming Biden is the nominee, it will not be one of the women that was in the nomination process. It will not be one of the female Democratic candidates that were in that. I think probably he, he ends up choosing a black female just because they've, they've played the intersectional game for so long that if he doesn't pick a black woman, let's say he just picks a woman, a totally qualified woman, whatever that is, and she happens to be white, well, the base will burn them down, right? How could you not choose a black person? So he's gonna have to do that. That seems kind of obvious, I suppose. Um, but then he does that, and then who, who is that person? Who are those, you know, is there uh, a more moderate black Democrat female? I mean, just think about the way I'm talking about this. It's so stupid, lordy, lordy. Um, okay, how long have we been going? We've been doing what, about an hour, 15? I'll do about 15 more, and then uh, I will send one last Twitter thread off with a couple thoughts sort of encapsulating some of what I've been talking about here, and then I have a whole bunch of work to do with my guys to get everybody set up for the month. And, uh, and then that will be it, people. I will stop looking at things, which would be nice. My, my eyes are burning for this screen is very bright. Who looks at this stuff all day? Um, give me your top five for who will be canceled by the time you get back. That's funny. Uh, who will be canceled by the time I get back? Well, I'll talk about it broadly, which is you know, one of the things I've been trying to explain to my lefty friends is that you guys can complain that the conservatives are evil and hate all of you, but who's gonna destroy Ellen DeGeneres one day? You know, Ellen's under a lot of fire right now because of 
some workplace harassment or something going on at the, at the production company. It's the left that is going to take out Ellen DeGeneres. Who's gonna take out Jimmy Kimmel for the blackface and everything else? It's the left that's gonna take out Jimmy Kimmel. Who will ultimately, I even said this to Bill Maher's face once, I've met him a couple times. I said to Bill the first time I met him, I said, Bill, um, you know, you gotta watch out for the left. And I wish I could do a better Bill Maher impression, but he looked at me and he was like, bah, I got the left. Who's gonna take out Bill Maher one day? It's going to be the left. Who's going to burn down Harvard? It's going to be the left. Are there Trump supporters uh, rallying right now and destroying universities and destroying federal buildings and burning things down? Um, we do have a series of deeply disingenuous Democratic politicians who are saying, well, wait a minute, why didn't the feds come in when all of those protesters were at the Capitol building in Michigan? Remember when all of the, they were sort of Tea Party-ish, people were showing at the Capitol building against the lockdown in Michigan, and people were saying, well, why weren't the feds sent there? It's because they were mostly white. Uh, uh, brainiacs, nobody was violent. There was literally no violence. They had guns, some of them. They had open carry, but there was no violence. Remember the original Tea Party? What didn't they have? Violence, and yet the media was completely against them, and now the media is somehow for. I mean, did you hear Barack Obama's speech? He gave a political rally speech at John Lewis's funeral, which seemed a little odd to me, but in essence, he was saying, we're sending in troops against peaceful protesters. There would have been no need for troops if, any, if the mayor of Portland or Seattle would have done their job. So uh, who will be canceled? I think, well, I think what'll happen is, and what I'm, more concerned about, and I've been saying this for years, is that people will just keep self-selecting out of the system. I think the, the day of celebrity in a, tr in a traditional way, and maybe this is a good thing, I think the day of celebrity is sort of ending. Nobody really cares what celebrities think anymore. We've been locked in our houses. You care about your family and your friends, but the idea that because a celebrity says something, it means anything, um, and it's usually a celebrity that has armed guards and has giant fences and tells you how horrible you are, I think their day is over. Um, I will also say related to this, you know, um, that the NBA is back and I'm a huge basketball fan. I love basketball. I got a basketball there. I got basketballs all over my house. Um, I, I'm not watching the NBA this year. I'm not calling for a boycott. I'm not calling for anyone to be canceled or taken out, but they've put Black Lives Matter on their court. Black Lives Matter is a political organization that is a self-described Marxist organization that wants to destroy the nuclear family amongst a bunch of other terrible stuff. I have no need to support that, so what do I do? The same thing I've been doing for five years. When I do cardio, I open up YouTube and I watch old 80s and 90s basketball games and I guarantee you what you will see with Magic and Bird and Michael and Clyde and everybody else and Barkley and Ewing and Carl Malone and John Stockton and I can name the rest of the freaking league in those years, uh, it's way more entertaining and less political than what you're getting these days. So they're just not gonna get my support. They're not, I mean, I guess at the game last night, everybody, including the referees, kneeled for the national anthem. Like, do you guys know how good you have it in this freaking spectacularly amazing, unique, incredible country called the United States of America? Um, I saw a, a, an Old Navy commercial. Have any of you seen this? This Old Navy commercial uh, with, with Black Lives Matter and you know, we've all got to unite and diversity and the rainbow, but they don't even use a regular rainbow flag. Now we've got the black and brown strip on it. The rainbow flag used to have nothing to do with race. Now we've injected race into the rainbow flag. 
Nope, there was not a gay person wandering around that thought that the rainbow flag didn't include everybody, right? It included everybody, the colors of the rainbow. But now we've injected color and race into the rainbow flag. So they showed that rainbow flag with the black and brown, and then they showed the Black Lives Matter thing. It's like, I don't buy old Navy clothes anyway. I guess I did back in the day. I don't need those big jeans. But like, why would I support this company? Sprite's got a commercial running around. They're, they're, I guess, giving money to Black Lives Matter or something. It's like, I don't drink Sprite anyway. If I want high fructose corn syrup, I'll drink it straight out of the bottle. Um, but I'm not gonna do that. Like, I, and I think that's what the future of all this is. I don't need to, um, I don't need to convince people to, to do all these things and boycotts and destroy everybody. But I think, we, I think what will happen actually is that we will, we will basically see a split in the country that will not, you know, I think people are sort of worried there's gonna be a civil war or red states for blue states. I think certain people will say, you know what, I don't want to support certain things anymore and people will just, this is an unfortunate reality because everything's become political. We will just start supporting things that we feel are aligned with us more and not supporting other things. And maybe that does lead to what Shapiro describes in his new book as a further disintegration of the machine. But I think that's kind of where we're at. All right, I have been talking for two hours, people. I got a long day ahead of me. Uh, I am fully caffeinated, although I have not eaten anything today. I should probably have some beef. Um, but yeah, this is it. This is the last stuff that I will do uh, here in this studio. It has been an amazing run we've had and, and what we're building out next is gonna be even better. And as I said, we're gonna do live interviews in a completely, live in-person interviews in a completely different way, in a way that I think nobody's really doing them right now that I think is gonna be incredibly cool. Uh, I wanna thank all of you. I sort of view this moment as this is the end of my season. I always view the, the sort of end of July, last day of July is the end of the season. Then we got our break, our summer break, and then we start a new season in September. So we started the interview version of the Rubin Report in September of 2005. No, 2005, geez, <laughs> 2015. Haven't been doing it for that long. Um, so we will start the new season in, in September. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for being on the, the, the adventure with me. I mean, this year of all years, I mean, not only because of Corona and because of the, the riots and the protests and a book launch in the middle of this. I'll tell you something. I know you guys aren't going to believe me, but I swear to God this is true. I have not seen my book in a store. We've sold thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. New York Times bestseller, as corrupt as that thing is, every Amazon number one on all the appropriate charts. I haven't even seen my book in a store because I just don't even go to stores anymore at this point. Like that, that I, or I, even in an airport, I kept thinking when I was writing the book, I was like, how cool would it be? I travel so much, I'm gonna see it in all these different airports, different cities. I haven't even seen my book in a store. It's a weird thing. But this has been a, this has been a bananas year for everybody. And uh, my, my team has grown here. Um, so I should give thanks to, to all of my guys, to Matt and Michael and David and Helen and Phoenix and Talia and I'm sure I'm gonna forget people and I apologize for doing that, but everybody that works with us and Asaf over at Locals and just everybody and the entire Locals team who's been amazing. Like I started a tech company in the midst of all this. Um, so, uh, all right, I think I've, I've been talking enough for one day. Uh, as I said, if you wanna sort of track what I'll be doing, although I won't be doing it myself, you can join us at rubenreport.com. And uh, just have a great summer. I hope you incorporate some of the things that I talked about here into your life if you feel that they're needed or worthwhile. And uh, that's it for me. There will be one Twitter thread. And when I see in September, it'll be in an all new, all new location um, and all new stuff coming. And I'm getting all kinds of sentimental on you right now. Jeez. Well, well thanks, everybody. That's it. I, I got nothing left. Thank you. And I'll see you when I see you.